Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Where do you see the most egregious media bias right now? Well, over the last three weeks, obviously, the coverage of the gun debate uh, has been absolutely egregious. I mean, I don't want to single out your network, but CNN's been pretty bad on this from a conservative perspective. Uh, the, the idea that when there's a, a mass shooting, that the media feel the necessity to put on TV uh, not only survivors, but specific survivors, that there's a certain subset of survivors who make it on TV a lot, a lot, uh, and there are certain other survivors who don't, uh, and that they decide to single out certain events and not other events in order to make a particular case, or they allow certain people to go on TV and suggest that folks like Dana Lash or people at the NRA are evil, don't care, they're terrorists, and there's no pushback from the anchors. You know, this sort of thing makes a lot of people on the right feel that the media are, are really using this as an opportunity to push gun control rather than objectively covering you know, the, the, the legislative efforts that are going on in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 22nd of March, year of our Lord, 2018, and that, my friends, is Ben Shapiro on, of all places, Sean Freaking Sean Spicer. What, what's the fucking difference? <laughs> Sean Spicier. Uh, on, uh, <clears throat> Brian Seltzer's show. And that was one of the favorite parts, but I can't go without playing some more of it. So to start off the show, it's always good to see a conservative get on CNN and dick slap them. So here's some more dick slapping. So your view is it should be 50-50, even if most of the students are urging gun control measures, you want it to be 50-50? Or, or no, I, th I think 80-20 I think would be fine. I, mean, I think that anything but 95-5 would probably be a good thing. Uh, and I think that it's also pretty obvious that, listen, everybody, this is my opinion about journalism, everybody in journalism has their own political views. We all vote, obviously, uh, or at least most of us do. Uh, and it's it's not a pleasant thing when people in the media pretend their political views are not influencing their coverage when it's so obvious that those political views clearly are influencing their coverage. But is it political just to want fewer gun deaths? That's not political. Well, obviously, it's not political to want fewer gun deaths. Nobody wants more gun deaths. I think that right. what is political is allowing certain people to go on TV and without any sort of follow-up question, say things like their political enemies don't care about human lives. Like, I remember CNN got very upset when Dana Lash said at CPAC that people in the media CNN didn't care enough. CNN doesn't get upset. Certain right? anchors the, the, or reporters may challenge something. That's It's not a network-wide thing. Well, okay, but reporters need to challenge. I mean, but again... It, the, the reporters are the representatives of the network. I mean, when I tune in and there's a reporter on CNN and the CNN insignia is in the bottom corner of the crawl, there's nothing I can do as an observer but say, okay, well, CNN may have a bias here, especially if that bias all runs in one direction. It's not like some of the members of CNN are pushing a particular agenda and some are pushing another agenda. It's, there's always, if there is a bias, it is universally to one side, and that's what people on the right are seeing. So you think the agenda that's being pushed is gun control by interviewing students who are scared to go back to school? Is that is that how you perceive it? No, I mean, I think that the agenda being pushed is gun control if there, again, is no pushback on questions that would be asked to any other guest. I think that tragedy is obviously a terrible thing, but it doesn't necessarily confer expertise, and that's one of the big problems here. I wanted to ask you, though, you know, you, you, your, your website, The Daily Wire, a lot of other conservative media sites that have criticism in the press, I sometimes worry you all are trying to tear things down as opposed to make them better. It's one thing to, to critique and want journalism to be better, but sometimes I feel like you're just trying to, to get rid of journalism altogether. Well, I mean, questioning unfair? the motive, I don't think, is a useful thing. If you can point out to me where the critique is wrong, I think that's one thing. If the suggestion is that the critique is invalid because the motive is invalid, uh, that's another. So, again, I think that if, if you don't like the motive, then ignore the motive and take the critique. 
as insofar as it's effective, right? We all have motives, but but the fact is, listen, I don't want CNN to disappear. I don't want the New York Times to disappear. I don't want the Washington Post to disappear. I want them to do what they are say, what they say they are supposed to be doing. I want them to perform objective journalism if that's what they say they're going to do, and opinion journalism if they want to say that they're opinion journalists. That's fine. My problem is when uh, this is why my cr critique of, for example, the New York Times op-ed page is far less than my critique of the New York Times objective journalism. There's a difference between op-ed and journalism. It's why my critique of MSNBC sometimes is a lot less strident, I think, than my critique of CNN, because CNN purports to be objective, MSNBC really does not purport to be objective in the same way. Part of me thinks that you and your colleagues at the Daily Wire should try to get jobs then at the New York Times. If you don't like the coverage, try to be a part of the solution as opposed to complaining about it. I mean, I don't know. Would you hire me? Uh, I, I really doubt that. And it's a breath of fresh air because you don't get to see that on any of the major networks. Let's be honest. Uh, Fox, you got Hannity, kind of, but he's a fucking idiot. Nobody really likes him. And you, you don't have a common sense conservative that gets to get on. You got to go to Blaze TV or Breitbart or some fucking bullshit to hear somebody. But later on the show, we're going to play our media bias 101. Literally what a normal conservative sounds like on a major new network. And that is a conservative that's bashing conservatives that that's all that gets on our air um but i wanted to start off with that because i heard it this week thought it was great we'll go into some more stuff before we fire for effect i i got i gotta lead off with a lead sent to me by todd in oregon <clears throat> high school bunny and i i knew this was coming from the state of oregon because oregon is a bunch of tree hugging bee pollinating fruit loops and they're the first to go into the fray. Oregon Initiative would ban assault weapons requiring owners to surrender certain guns. The proposal defines an assault weapon as any semi-automatic rifle that has a capacity to accept a detachable magazine and any feature like folding or telescopic stock or that can accept more than 10 rounds. It is Initiative Petition 42 would also require legal gun owners to surrender or register their assault weapons or face a felony charge according to language released Tuesday. The group said it aims to get enough signatures to put the measure before voters in November. They would need 88,000 before July 6th. The proposal defines assault weapon, blah, 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 same thing. A reduction in the availability of assault weapons and large-capacity ammunition magazines will promote the public health and safety of the residents of the state. The initiative petitions. Military personnel, law enforcement, and members of the government would be exempt from the ban. Gun advocates denounce the proposal, saying it represents an unprecedented attack on public's constitutional rights to bear arms. The proposal would require any person in legal possession of an assault weapon to sell, surrender, or remove the weapon from the state or render it inoperable within 120 days of the passage, according to language. If eligible, a person could register the assault weapon or higher capacity magazine with the Oregon State Police, subject to a number of requirements. Uh, any violation would be a Class B felony. And there is a conservative quoted in here, but I will bet you as sure as I'm a fat guy, unless a lot of guys like Todd get out there, it, it's not, it's going to pass. It's going to They're that fucking crazy. At the end of the article, Post said he didn't expect the initiative petition to be successful and know that no Democratic leader had voiced support. This got zero comments or help from anybody in the Democratic leadership. The reason they, they're not supporting this is that they're not stupid. They know this is bring out a greatest red wave of votes in Oregon history, and I don't agree with that at all. I don't. There's not a lot of red people. Todd is, a, is an anomaly. It's just an anomaly. It, it, it is a crazy fucking state, and that's why I won't go back to it, because there's more crazies in that state 
than there are just conservative people. I mean, there's talk in our segment today is about California, but when I was studying California and the secession movement that's going on there, kind of dovetailing off our last podcast about a next American Civil War, uh, literally, there's been talk of Eastern Oregon seceding from Oregon because they're ruled by Portland. And that's the problem. In every state that goes blue, it's not the state. It's a metropolitan area that has decided to tell everybody else how to live, what they can do. I was talking to Jen in Colorado, my sister, prior to starting Hit and Record, and she told me something about Oregon. I didn't even know that they literally banned Sudafed. So because kids are going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and robo you got to go to Washington to get it over the counter. Where I live, it's just, hey, you got to give your age. And if it's serious, you it's behind the counter. That, that's how you handle it in a free society. But not in Oregon. We're going to make sure none of you use it because it's horrible and somebody could get it. Dovetailing with this right before broadcast, YouTube bans all guns demonstration videos. The move to ban firearm demos dovetails with the media platform desire to prohibit videos with instruction on how to assemble a firearm. Ironically, guns built at home have not been part of the mass public attacks that have drawn national attention over the past months and years, but guns acquired at retail via background checks. Bloomberg reports that YouTube issued a statement. We routinely make updates and adjustments to our enforcement guidelines across all our policies. While we've long prohibited the sale of firearms, we recently notified creators of updates. We will be making around making around content promoting the sale or manufacturing of firearms and their accessories. The National Shooting Sports Foundation said the YouTube policy ship is worrisome. They fear that educational content may now be lumped in with prohibited firearm videos and everything's lost together. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Bet your goddamn bippy educational things from the manufacturers. Uh, I unfortunately, because my wife forced me to, bought her a high point once. And a high point weapon is basically a version of the AK. (laughs) You know, it's simple, stupid, big chunk of metal fire bullet. And, and I had to go online to figure out how to disassemble the fucking thing because it wasn't normal, like a normal pistol. And a video like that will be banned. All out of the zeal that we need to tell you what to do. During all of this, of course, there was the bombings. Nobody cared about that. And the only way it was really covered because it didn't fit the narrative was like this. Karen Atia, a WAPO editor, people of color are being bombed in Austin. The story deserves so much more attention. And to be factually correct, because democracy dies in the dark, um, they, WAPO, and CNN ran this angle that it was racist. There were two black people and two white people killed. And the fucking bombs were using tripwires. Last time I checked, a tripwire doesn't look for the color of your skin. Then, of course, McCabe firing, and uh, Donald Trump, once again, the President of the United States, did a stupid thing and tweeted about it. It made everybody lose their mind. A Democratic senator, gloat now, but you'll be fired soon. Uh, It made Kurt Eichenwall go on this Twitter screed, 
I know from my work Donald Trump is a criminal and former drug addict who's unworthy to lick dirt off of Andrew McCabe's shoes. One spent his life breaking laws and destroying people, the other risk his life enforcing laws. This act exposes Trump for what he is. I say former because that I can prove he managed with medical help to get off the amphetamines derivatives in 1990. The truth that Christo-fascists do not yet understand, but that the deeply religious theology professor who wrote this does, you threw your hand away with Donald Trump. No one, no one will ever listen to conservative political Christians again without laughing. Which brought me to... Look how many anti-Christian things came out this week. Because I've never heard of a Christo-fascist. And how the FBI and the Justice Department getting rid of somebody, not Donald Trump, by the way. We already covered this on the show. He was getting offed because he had linkage to fucking Fusion GPS. I mean, the guy is crooked as fuck. He was a Hillary sycophant. The FBI checked him, Justice Department made the decision. Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. But you see the left's twist. It's got to be more than Donald Trump. It's all you horrible deplorables that voted for this guy. And this transpired around the same time this douche nozzle, Kurt Eichenwall, called Christian fascist made a new thing. This is like a Joy Reid. Alt-right came out of Joy Reid, the racist mouth, and we became all alt-right because we don't want to listen to this certain blue Kool-Aid that MSDNC puts out. And I, I just want you to listen to this. This is the same time for, it's like they get a talking point memo. The fear is he may stand there and represent the president in the face of real data. Well, as Larry Kudlow says, it's God's will. Those comments right there come just days after ABC's The View host, Joy Behar, had to apologize for mocking Vice President Mike Pence's Christianity. Marie, why? So we've seen Bernie Sanders grill Trump nominees over their Christian faith. Obviously, Joe Behar just had to apologize to Mike Pence for her comments. And then we have this. Why is there such an open animosity to Christianity from those on the left? Well, I... I sort of am offended by the question as someone who... I'm I mean, offended by those comments well, from the MSNBC host. So, first of all, Enjoy I think... Enjoy by her, at, for that, at, for the at record. At root, I think faith is private, and none of us have to go out and publicly proclaim it to be faithful or religious. Did I, you take issue with what the anchor so, said so, or but, not? But, well, but her question was, why does the left not like faith? No, I said some on the left. I didn't say everyone. I said some on the left. I gave three specific examples, which are factual. I mean, so so why a, the open animosity? We would never make a joke so, like that about any other faith. This, is, the, there, this is a more question about not the left, but maybe about journalism. And that, the you know, there are public, there are public officials, but this was about Joy Behar and Stephanie Rule. And with them, I'll start with them, okay? With them, I don't agree with the things they said. About, I don't like them mocking. I wouldn't think that you would. No, no. I, that's where I was. I was trying to get. I don't like that, and I think people express their faith publicly or privately, whatever they're comfortable with. Nothing Larry Kudlow said was offensive to me or should have been challenged. I think that was a low blow by Stephanie Rule. Journalists I just do. have a, a particular ignorance of their tone in general on the left when it comes to God and guns. She thought she was being funny. She wasn't. She was being offensive. But it's just part of a larger trend 
of people in the media who are center-left who think that this is somehow something they can mock. And we know that they would not do it with any other faith tradition in a million years because they know that that would be actually very effective. I just don't like the idea that there's something inherent among the left that means we don't like Christianity. There are a lot of us who are incredibly religious who just don't like talking about but it But I think there's been an openness to mocking people like uh, Vice President Mike Pence over his relationship with his wife, as he mentioned, was part of his religion, which is why... He chooses to not meet with women one-on-one. -on -one. There's been an open, there's been an, well, an antagonistic approach to Christians, and it has largely stemmed from those on the left. But, but, but me, do you think, well, hold on, I want to go to Buck real quick. We only so, have a few seconds oh, here. I'll Buck, be quick. real quick, do you think this plays into the heartlands, Americans in the heartlands, rejection of Five some seconds. on the left and yes. the media as well? But Mike Pence does yes, not represent Christianity, and the idea that if you challenge Mike Pence, you're challenging Christianity is not fair. No, but those comments are offensive. I think I can speak for many of our viewers who think it's admirable. Uh, uh, for someone like Larry Kudlow to be open about his struggles with drugs and alcohol I agree. and talk about that wasn't, uh, his I, I totally that agree. wasn't an indictment of you, We're gonna, I, 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 I totally agree. We're outnumbered in just a moment. Watching 60 Minutes, here's Anderson Cooper. Her birth name is Stephanie Clifford, but elementary school history books will forever refer to her as Stormy Daniels. In 2006, she allegedly had sex with a recently married Donald Trump, his chin dripping with a Lipitor bowl hormone cookie dough milkshake. Then, she accepted $130,000 to stay silent about what Americans already instinctively knew in their amygdala hindbrain. Here now is President Trump's side of the story. Stormy Daniels is lying, unless she says I'm a wild cat in bed, in which case it's all true. If this didn't happen, why did she receive $130,000 from Michael Cohen, your lawyer, who always looks like he just realized he ate some bad clams? The money was consolation for missing out on the most intense, orgasmic sexual awakening of her life. I approach lovemaking like I approach the breakfast buffet. Me first, and always a guy nearby making omelets. Do you plan to pay back your lawyer? Nope. Stormy Daniels claims you did not sign the non-disclosure agreement. I was too busy planning Space Force. Isn't it great that cops, teachers, and astronauts are now militarized? Hey, IRS agents, get ready for calculators that shoot 20 rounds a second. Does Stormy Daniels have compromising pictures and videos of you? And how much are you looking forward to seeing Mike Pence's face after they're released? I've seen the photos, and it's clearly not my penis. No part of me appears on camera without several ladles of Maybelline Superstay Foundation. Sir, this allegedly occurred one year after you married Melania. She's the foreign one with the brown hair. Right, but me and my pregnant wife hadn't really defined the relationship. Even at the wedding, we were like, where is this going? We've obtained audio of an alleged encounter between you and Miss Daniels. Can you believe this hotel room? Is this the softest robe you've ever felt or what? Donald, focus. Would you look at that bathtub? And there's a whole other room over there! Donald, shut up and stop fidgeting. Keep it down. I ordered chicken fingers before you got here and need to hear the... Off, 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 off! I'm here! Don't leave! Go to 60MinutesOvertime.com to watch Donald Trump explain why Rex Tillerson, the former CEO of Exxon, was too much of a goody two-shoes for him. Of course, that was Colbert and MSDNC, Stephanie Rule, and she mocked it three or four times. That's over a whole session. And even raised her mug just mocking... Somebody saying God's will. God's will. These Bones tweets, maybe I'm behind the times, but Kurt Eichenwald just babbled followers of Christ are Christophasis. I had never heard that term before, but my reaction was revulsion. Wow, just wow. Then Jim Carrey came out. This is the portrait of a so-called Christian whose only purpose is to lie and life is to lie for the wicked monster. 
And he did a picture of, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, because she's a religious person, a daughter of a Christian. And he then tweeted every nasty portrait he's done of conservatives, all horrible, and in multiple types, it's, it's Christians are fucking horrible. The only person that had the, 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 the scones to def- go after him, or not go after him, defend him, was Kathy Griffin, saying that he's a great guy. He's right. Christians are bad. Then alternate, brain damage may explain religious conservatives. This is actually a lefty site. And Slate and them did articles this week. And I shall read part of it. Progressives ever ready to congratulate themselves on their curiosity, creativity, open-mindedness are curiously quite quick to grasp with physiological, psychological, excuse me, and medical diagnosis to explain the existence of opinions they don't share. Just recently, Slate told us that conservative gun owners are sexually repressed and lacking empathy. Not to be outdone, the unhinged left site Alternet Friday published an article asserting that there is scientific evidence linking religious fundamentalists and conservatives to brain damage. Alternates Bobby Azarian brought it to the Internet's attention that religious fundamentalism is, in part, the result of functional, functional impairment in a brain region known as the prefrontal cortex. Apparently, this finding was published by the medical journal Neuropsychologica. Vox then published a very lengthy piece last week on CIA, CIA Director Mike Pompeo, President Trump's pick to be the next Secretary of State, what made it so long were the parts that had nothing to do with Pompeo, but with the number of pol- GOP politicians allow their belief in rapture theology to influence their political worldview. If Pompeo was just an ordinary Christian, his future as secretary would be no big deal, right, Fox? The v- problem with v- Pompeo is his specific brand of dualistic evangelical faith dividing the geopolitical into good and evil. Benny tweets, Dear Vox, here's a quick explainer. Billions of Christians around the world believe in Jesus Christ. Christians have believed in Jesus for over 2,000 years. This statement makes total sense to a Christian. This is not a scoop. It's not even a headline. Because they had tweeted, Mike Pompeo has told audience, Jesus Christ is the only solution to our world. But that's got to be somehow a mental defect. But all, you're good with all the Muslims, right, lefties? Throw gays off the roof. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Then queer entity, or maybe it's queerity. I didn't even know this existed. It's a gay website. They did a whole thing. VB Pence came to Savannah to march in a parade, and every single picture taken of him has a pride flag in it. And basically all the gay agenda people went and attacked Pence while he did a simple march. So it's more than just McCabe. It's more than it. It's always they fucking hate you. They fucking hate you. Then we find out, and this came from CBS New York, fired FBI Director McCabe, Deputy Director, excuse me, McCabe, kept memos of conversations with Trump. So he was doing the same thing Comey was. And the entire world said, is anybody going to be honest to say the guy lied and he was totally biased in his approach to the GPS shit? I mean, is anybody going to talk about it? Anybody. Do we have anybody out there? And then Brennan, who once again was in charge of CIA over Obama, 
When the full extent of your venality, moral turpitude, and political corruption become known, you will take your rightful place as a disgraced demagogue in the dustbin of history. You may scapegoat Annie McCabe, but you will not destroy America. America will triumph over you. That was the guy in charge of the CIA. So he threatened the President of the United States. Everybody's good with it. Simultaneously, as we're going crazy on the left, and no network, we're going to play a soundbite to how they covered it, but nobody admitted that he was he was a liar. That's why he was fired. He lied about everything. He was politically connected to the Hillary Clinton world, just like Comey, just like everybody else. Democrats flood Andrew McCabe with federal job to offer to save his pension. Mark Pocan, a Democrat from Wisconsin. Jamie Raskins, a Democrat from Maryland. Seth Moulton, a Democrat from Mass. All offered him jobs because they were so concerned. This true hero, this American hero is going to lose his pension. And where did they get it from? Andrea Mitchell. This is a media, a real journalist. One who was a pioneer as a woman journalist. Talks about it's so hard to be a journalist when you're a woman. Well, maybe it's also very hard when you're a biased activist. One suggestion from a McCabe supporter, if a friendly member of Congress hired him for a week, he could possibly qualify for pension benefits by extending his service the extra days. That came from a journalist. James Wood, of course you would promote hiring a liar fired on the recommendation of the FBI office for professional responsibility. You should thank your lucky star, the world of journalism, doesn't have such an office. You'd be unemployed. Ari Fleischer, wonderful idea. Every member of Congress should hire fired bureaucrat who'd lied to an inspector general in the course of a government investigation. Pensions before honesty. Great slogan. And this is all transpiring as the lead guy, the guy for the left, who just goes balls deep on Russia, is quoted as following. Adam Schiff, Andrew McCabe firing, may be justified. Trey Gowdy had a soundbite, literally says, this This has been media malpractice. This is clickbait. This is lies. So we got two soundbites. One's going to be Andrea Mitchell working for Dems, talking to a Democrat who didn't know he should do that until she told him. And then we'll go into the rest of the media corroboration with the Democrats. Wisconsin Democratic Congressman Mark Pocan is offering Andrew McCabe a job to help him qualify for his pension. And he joins me now from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Congressman, thank you very much. Tell me how this would work and have you heard back at all from McCabe? This is a very legitimate offer. What the president did um, was one of the biggest, uh, I think, character flaws that we see in him. He just lacks uh, human decency. Uh, It was cruel the way he did this. The president did this to try to interfere with the Mueller investigation. He wants to send a signal that anyone who crosses him, he's not going to just hurt you. He's going to hurt your family. He's going to hurt your future. He's going to go after your pension. Please let us know if you, uh, after talking to Andrew McCabe or his people, if there's a deal. If he's a new hire on, on the congressional staff, and joining well, me now your, is your MSN. Tweet, Andrea. Oh. I'm sorry. I it was your tweet you, that started all this. I just want you to know uh, we saw your tweet <laughs> over the weekend, and that's what gave us the idea. So, thank you. Well, 
That's, that's interesting to note. Thank you very much, Congressman. What I would say is this. I think the fact that how the president made the McCabe firing happen, um, I mean, it, it is an extraordinary, if you look, go back 18 months, the systemic campaign against McCabe to delegitimize him, to raise questions about him, to a deputy FBI director that nobody had ever heard of, and the president using his bully pulpit to do that, he gets Sessions, who some believe is firing McCabe quickly in order to save his own job, which would preserve the Mueller probe. I think the reaction by the president's attorney that this McCabe firing means time for the probe to end, I think that's most significant because I think it signals this president is no longer cooperating with Mueller. It's time for war. And I think this thing's about to come to a head, and it's either going to go radically one way or radically in another direction, Willie. Two big strikes against Andrew McCabe. Okay. Number one, the inspector general said, faulted him for lack of candor, and the firing was recommended by veteran FBI officials. That's set against the backdrop of an entire process that's been politicized by the president calling for several months for Andrew McCabe to be fired, interfering in an FBI process, which is highly unusual. Those messages you're talking about are actually private text messages, uh, which probably should have never been leaked uh, in the first place. And there are also anti-Clinton and anti-politician messages wrapped up in that as well. So I think that's separate from Andrew McCabe. But he is a key witness here in the entire Mueller investigation. We now know that he's turned over notes to Mueller. He has potentially information that could back up James Comey's stories about the firing of James Comey, the potential firing, the firing and interference with Michael Flynn. So he is a key witness, and you have to ask the question, is President Trump trying to taint him as a witness in the Mueller investigation? That's White House, uh, that, White I mean, House Press Secretary. That, that, that actor, by the way, um, was key in the uh, Boston Marathon bombing investigation. Uh, uh, was key. He was a member of the SWAT team, uh, New York FBI. He's a guy that was put in charge of of, of high value uh, interrogation. Uh, after, I mean, this guy has been a hero. Yeah, a law enforcement hero. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, how can you do this? That's how can you do this when you know it's wrong? You know it's wrong what you're saying. You know every word you're saying is wrong and that you're not being a good person and you're not being a good American. Back here at home and a top FBI official in danger of being fired and losing his pension 72 hours before retirement tonight. We continue to follow this. Breaking news on a Friday night. Jeff Sessions fires Andrew McCabe, the former FBI deputy director, just two days away from retiring. Here discusses Chris Whipple. He's the author of The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chiefs of Staff Define Every Presidency, and CNN presidential historian Douglas Brinkley. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. So, Doug, former FBI mm -hmm. director, deputy director Andrew McCabe, fired um, after more than 20 years of service, by the way. Uh, can, is there any comparison to Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre? You know, every time we think we've hit rock bottom with this presidency, the bottom falls out and we sink to new depths. I mean, this was petty. It was vindictive. It had all the hallmarks of a political and personal vendetta. Uh, and it's vintage Donald Trump. But, but beyond that, I think what this shows is that a year, more than a year into the Trump presidency, there are no grown-ups in the room. And, you know, McCabe now is, uh, has to become a, uh, a real um, courage spokesperson about what's going on in America. I mean, it's absolutely unacceptable the way this has gone down this week, the way Donald Trump is taunting 
uh, people, the way that he's uh, humiliating ourselves internationally. We have Stormy Daniels' situation brewing. He's a president that's uh, coming unglued. He's not right in, in personality or in thought or in action. And we did see that with Nixon when the pressure of Watergate came on. Here's what uh, the FBI, uh, FBI Agents Association released a statement just a moment ago. I'll read this for you, uh, Chris. Uh, and they're saying, basically, I'll just sum it up. It says, the FBI Agents Association in a statement tonight says, personnel decisions should never be politicized and that the association is committed to ensuring its members are provided appropriate procedural protections here. Yeah. Well, you know, Doug is right. I mean, the, the fish rots from the head. Mm. And you know, everybody in the orbit of this president is ultimately sucked in and tarnished or destroyed. It, it happens to almost everyone. And I think that this, uh, this could, let's hope this is a turning point and that people like Kelly and others will, will wake up and realize, uh, that we're in real danger here. Yeah, that, that sounds like something the DNC or the DCCC would put out. Not, journalism and in an effort to cut down my podcast i hope you noticed I, i'm starting to edit sound bites a lot more down it takes a lot of time a lot more time but i'm doing it because i've noticed when i listen for corrections or issues or misspeaks which i do quite often and say the opposite of what i meant to say um sometimes it's clutter that doesn't need to be listened to so i promise going forward i will spend more time in the editing booth taking the usually 20 to 25 sound bites that I pull a day and literally exerting the dumb shit. But this is, the, you're not even hearing me getting fired up. This is just to be expected. They presented Fusion GPS, the dossier, and everything as one big lie used to smear the president, who once again, for those new to the show, I don't support Trump. I'm just saying this is media malpractice. They want the ratings, so they keep fucking lying about this shit. And it benefits the Democrats in the midterm, and they all align with the Democrats. So, I mean, come on. And before we close and head on out to Fire for Effect with some more hoggy. Oh, wait for the hog shit. We got a lot of hog. Got a lot of hog, and it smells like pig pen. Guess who Planned Parenthood... I'll give you two guesses who Planned Parenthood's going to use... To replace that fucking ghoul, Cecile Richards. Oh, you got it on the first one. Yeah, the tennis shoe girl. Wendy Davis is who they're thinking about replacing her with. And that is like basically asking fucking Satan to take over for Hitler. It is just more babies are going to be killed. They're going to have drive-through abortions at Planned Parenthood. <laughs>
What if our politicians weren't the bitch of the NRA? It doesn't make sense that I have to wait till I'm 21 to get a handgun, but I can get this weapon at 18. I don't know. We didn't address it, Mr. President. But I think you know why? Because you're afraid of the NRA, right? <laughs> what if we all voted and said this is not? Okay. It was an incredibly exciting election night in a district. There never should have been a question that the Republicans should have won. They're sending a Democrat from the heart of Trump country. Voters are sending a message. And if the president isn't hearing it, a whole lot of other people are. What if we stood up as Americans and fought for our freedom and our children's lives? Everybody is saying politicians who are corrupt, politicians who are accepting money from these organizations, you can't run from us. We are the people who voted you in and we are the people who will vote you out. My name is David Hogg and I stand with the Never Again movement. Join us on March 24th as we march for our lives and the future of America. What if a conservative ever said, what if politicians weren't the bitch to the baby-killing mill that is Planned Parenthood? Do you think that would ever fly? Do you think he would ever get on the air? Because we'll see the conservative student out of Parkland, he got removed by CNN for retweeting something that disparaged a CNN anchor. They were just looking for a reason not to put him on the air. They were only bringing him on the air to try to be able to sit there and let Brian Seltzer and Chris Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, sit there and say, Oh, we brought him on. We, we want the facts. We want a discussion here. And we want conservatives tested, which I never understand. So David Nakamara leads us off. CNN doing a live interview with students on lockdown at Maryland High School where a school shooting was reported. He says, he had to go because police are at the door. CNN asked if he can stay on the phone even as he leaves. Strange new reality and real-time reporting with technology. He played it like it was all good. Students said he didn't hear gunshots, but then CNN asked him how many people were injured, and he said he heard seven. Then adds he first heard it was one. Interesting implication of this kind of reporting. Carol Hartzell. Dear CNN, please stop speculating on this shooting or the mind of the shooter. Report the facts. That's what you have, period. You keep bringing up facts in your marketing campaign, so I know you're familiar with the concept. But this was quick, man. This other shooting, which a school safety officer took the motherfucker down. Well, goddamn, we weren't hearing that shit on ABC right off the bat. If you don't think this can't happen at your school, you are sadly mistaken. The school shooting comes during a national call to action to make schools safer. In days before thousands are expected in Washington, D.C. for the March for Our Lives rally in response to the Parkland, Florida school massacre. And Marcus with us tonight. Kenneth Moten joined us now live from the scene. And Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was grilled today on Capitol Hill about those school shootings. She was asked if she will meet with the students from Parkland when they come to Washington in the coming days to March, as you just mentioned. And here's what she said. Would you be willing to meet with the Parkland students? We'd be glad to facilitate a meeting. I look forward to meeting with Parkland students. I have actually talked with a few of them about meeting them in Parkland at, at a time that uh, is workable for both of us. Sure. Are you available this Friday to meet with them when they're that. in town? I, I don't know. I can't say right okay. now what my schedule is. If we could is. just follow up with that, we would certainly appreciate it. Um, Kenneth, you're also hearing tonight that some of the students right at that Maryland school behind you will be marching as well. David, we expect several students from this school will attend. It was just a week ago when they joined other young people from across the country for national school walkout, calling for stricter gun controls laws. Yeah, they exploited it, bashed Devos, and it was all dropped. 
once we found out a safety officer did his fucking job, what happened? You didn't hear it anymore. Because that's against the narrative. Which is why I start, before I get into the Twitter bias, with a good gun control arm rebuttal for you weapon-owning Americans out there. One, the Second Amendment only gives the right to own guns for use in a militia. Total lie. We all know that. Two, Second Amendment only applied to muskets. First, repeating rifles were in existence for more than 100 years before the Bill of Rights. So that's a fucking lie. Shut them down. Criminals won't have guns if we ban them. Just say Chicago. AR-15, certain semi-automatic rifles should be banned. Again, criminals won't obey the laws. Just like criminals are not going to obey the Oregon ban on this shit. It's not going to happen. They'll keep their guns. Normal Americans will keep the guns. They'll just say, go fuck yourself. We must raise the rifle purchase age to 20 years old. Year old. Here's the argument. Either 18-year-olds are adult and should vote and do everything, or they're not. We now let them freaking join the military, drive cars, be treated as adults in crimes. If you're saying you can't have the weapon, then we need to repeal all that shit, too. Six, gun-free zones are safe spaces. Uh, Parkland, in a day. Seven, places with strict gun laws don't have shooting problems. Not true. Take a look at Chicago, a city with some of the strictest gun control laws. In the year of 2016 alone, Chicago had 762 gun deaths and experienced 4,331 shootings. 762 gun deaths, 4,331 shootings. That worked really good. Eight, reducing guns will reduce gun violence. Go back to what we just talked about. Nine, only law enforcement should have guns. Most of us live where we can't get... You're in a metropolitan area, there's cops everywhere. The rest of the country that you hate so much, yeah, it, it takes 30 minutes for a sheriff to get to my house. And 10, high-capacity magazines should be banned. Here's some rebuttals. In addition to trying to ban the guns into the cap, the magazines, typically the most popular target of their ire are magazines with the capability to hold more than 10 rounds, especially R15 mags. They claim that by stopping or to reload, a mass, um, a mass shooter can be stopped. The facts don't support this. One of the Columbine shooters had a 10-round magazine. Virginia Tech shooter used mostly 10-round magazines. The shooter from the recent Florida schooling shooting, although he had an AR, used 10-round magazines to commit the crime. Those facts about Parkland just get in the way of CNN, who has now become every town. CNN, there's been an average of one shooting every week this year. Total lie. Not even true. Then, as prefaced, CNN cancels interview with conservative Parkland student over retweet. It took five weeks for Kyle Kashev, the conservative Parkland shooting survivor, to be granted an interview with CNN, despite several of his classmates getting plenty of airtime. Having finally won an interview with Brooke Baldwin, the network has now canceled it. Kyle Kashev, because no media is covering this. Nobody's covering it. CNN canceled my interview with them for a retweet of an article that states actual facts in there, but for some reason they don't say a word when people call Dana Loesch a child murderer, the NRA murderer, and Marco Rubio is like looking down the barrel of an AR-15 on the network. Kashev's friend called to tell him the network had disinvited him. The tweet that got him booted was one composed by sports journalist Clay Travis, who called Baldwin a fake news hypocrite. It seems Kashev is taking the news in stride. 
took me five weeks to invite the students on from the Republican side. They finally invited me on. Then they canceled over a retweet of a factual article where someone called them a fact, a fake news hypocrite. Don't worry, though. They're the most trusted name in news. Q. Travis tweet may have been a bit incendiary, but it's ha- hard to forget how CNN rolled out the red carpet for the Parkland students who had called for gun control, offered them opportunity to berate Rubio and Loesch in a town witch trial. Dana Loesch tweets, I really hope this isn't why this happened, CNN. Him quoting tweeting an article wherein another was justifiably critical of some of your content seems a little s- silly reason to cancel him. No, it's not. CNN. They just want one view. That's it. Then Diane Feinstein, CDC researches all leading cause of death in America except for gun violence. It's ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. It's been bedunked. Because you know why it's debunked? This was done under the previous Democrat president, Senator. Here are the results, and she provided it for her. But that's, once again... Everything Bush, Bush did, we repeated it in nauseam. With Obama, we ignore it. And then the big event of the week was Twitter. Survivor students activists, Emma for Change, David Hogg, Karen Kasky, Alba blah, 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 Jacqueline Corrin, Diane De- Ryan Deach. We'll start the journey to March for Our Lives with a Q&A live stream on Twitter, Monday, March 19th, 12.30 p.m. Don't worry, I didn't watch it because you didn't watch it either, but I got sound bites. And accidentally for a while, Kyle Kashev wasn't. He did a tweet, survivor, student, activist, invite, no. Then he was, and then they removed him. So once again, Twitter, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSDNC, WAPO, New York Times. We don't want opposing views, we want gun control now. So the only guy out there who's got any other airwaves, which is Fox, we're not inviting him. No opposing views. Then David Hogg, just to show a little bit of rancor coming off this cash of who, if I had the money, would pay for his college. This is what Hogg tweeted this week, and here's Kashev's reply, which I thought was just priceless, before we actually go into what was said on this Twitter event supposed to be about these survivors of a horrible event just got rejected from another college but that's okay we're already changing the world good night everyone and kyle cassif respires responds i hear msnbc is hiring and i just thought god damn that's funny he you know he's young so he fucked up because he should have just said cnn this kid will be on cnn he'll have his own show within about three years and every night He'll be saying liberal, libtard, intersectionality bullshit. And as I say that, really listen to this and tell me that this kid isn't a prop. I think one of the greatest obstacles that we face, though, with this movement is the fact that there is a lot of um, racial disparity in the way that this is covered. If this happened in a place of a lower socioeconomic status or a place where, um, like a, a, a black community, no matter how well those people spoke, I don't think the media would cover it the same. And I think it's important that we point that out as Americans and realize that because we have to use our white privilege now to make sure that all of the voices that have, all of the people that have died as a result of this and haven't been covered the same can now be heard. It's, it's sad, it's, but it's true. It's, it's, the spotlight is on us and it's awful and it's 
a horrible thought that it's that we're an affluent community. That's why initially everybody followed this so closely because this happens every day other places. But the, the other thing that's embarrassing is the underrepresentation of minorities in our country, especially in our government. It's disgusting. We don't have proportional representation of minority groups in our country. We don't we don't have women not nearly enough women of color. We don't have a diversity of thought as a result. And it creates this system where we have one line of thinking where it's a lot of rich white men like my like myself that are in politics and we need to realize that we need more diversity in politics because when we don't have that, we don't have a diversity of ideas and we allow this corruption to sprout. I think, speaking of House of Cards, that show, one of the main messages that it sends is that's a spectacle. After Zo spoiler alert, um, after Zoe Barnes is killed, Clara oh, no. Dude, what if we missed that? Sorry. I'm a little behind. Okay, okay. So, I can't, after, that, that's the most controversial thing that's ever come okay. out of this movie. <laughs> so, after one of the characters is killed, Claire immediately turns to her mirror and starts putting on makeup. Or live, so he just... <laughs> she starts putting on makeup. And with that symbol... They've been calling you two superheroes. They've been calling your group superheroes. Do you feel that? And then the Parkland students emerging as the voices of a generation and the well-known stars joining the cause. And where are you going to be? I'll be in D.C. You're going to be in D.C. Going to be in D.C. You're going to have that t-shirt on? Uh, hopefully. Yeah, so it's you March for Our Lives, and you can look up if you want to take part at places around the country. And, and what do you make of the idea that your voices have gone global now? It's not just this country alone. You mentioned Antarctica <laughs> all over the world. You guys, your, your efforts have changed laws in Florida. There's a national conversation going on. I was wondering if you guys were to grade yourselves on how well you've done thus far. What grade would you give yourselves? I think based off the training we've had, which is zero and A. Intersectionality, proud Texan, a woman. If a conservative politician, pundit, or activist made a grand always allegation of the same gravity and scale as a mass shooter happened every day, they'd be endlessly handed for the data and the proof. How much pushback did Caskey get? Let me guess, none. Frederick J. Marigen, my lack of caring got further confirmed. This shit show just evolved from simple guns to a privilege wanking. Jacob Hill Hibbard, when you don't have a logical argument, you spam with virtue signaling, intersectionality, and talking points. That sounded like a bunch of bullshit thrown together by Planned Parenthood, the Women's March, the DNC, CNN, and MSNBC. You hear that every night on their networks. Like Don Lemon stuck his hand up this kid's ass and made him a sock puppet. And they think this is going to work. They think this will really, all these kids marching. But as we saw on the first walkout, this will be aired from dawn to dusk tomorrow. And I will bet you as sure as I'm a bald fat guy. You're going to see signs about racism, aborting baby. I mean, it's just Donald Trump sucks. It's just going to be another petulant school child going out in the street and saying, we lost an election. And while Hogg is going around labeling everybody, school officials worried about Nicolas Cage and guns 18 months before a mass shooting. He was removed from everything. He wasn't having a backpack. He couldn't fucking shoot on the JRT, JRT, JROTC. But is the, are we going to talk about that? No. Scientific American. Why are white men stockpiling guns? Because they're uneducated and racist. I'm not even reading it. It's getting just fucking totally tired. It's the same shit.
Then you have, during this week, this shit. Teacher discipline for questioning school walkout. The article, a history teacher at a California high school who dared to question her schools participating in a hyper-political pro-gun control national school walkout has been placed on leave. Julianne Benzel said she opened up a discussion in her classroom about the politics of the protest and was subsequently told to stay home on Wednesday because the administration disagreed with her views. We had a dialogue in class about it Thursday and Friday, and today I received the call, so I'm aghast. Then there was this, a New Jersey school district that allegedly suspended two high school students this week over a gun photo taken during a family visit to a private shooting range is facing community backlash and the threat of a lawsuit over the district policies. He posted, fun day at the range, the school suspended him saying, it's too scary. Then there was this, found on Twitter, rural Alabama gas station, I was there getting a Snickers. I wonder if anyone or how how many in the U.S. realize how mind-numbingly incomprehensive and sickly absurd this is, that the level of national insecurity is so bad that everyone needs to be prepared to shoot their fellow man dead, and any time I cannot fathom this. Doc Washburn, definitely. When one carries wherever he goes, he doesn't worry about being shot. An armed society is a polite society. And it was a picture of a gas station that also had a gun store attached to it. And this liberal, Sarah Kendenzer, and about a thousand other ones, lost their fucking minds. Then every town, a picture of a magazine, gotta ban those magazines, the bullets are loaded the wrong way. They're facing the shooter. Then in the Washington Post, mount for bayonet grenade launcher. For an AR, they're trying to break down once again what an AR is. And they say it's a grenade launcher, which is illegal. Do they cover ISIS-loving wannabe mass shooter admitted he was drawn to gun-free zone before he was caught? Nope. They cover that 42% of Brazilians believe gun ownership is a citizen right, and they're overturning how they took all the fucking guns away? Nope. And did they cover the money shot that one of the security officers was fucking sleeping? He was fucking asleep. Do you know, I I searched Twitter to find that. I watched CNN. They didn't even announce it. And I lost it. I tweeted to all the networks and David Hogg and Everytown and said, you own f- oh, 5.5 million Americans who are members of the NRA and vets like me who own ARs an apology. You call us terrorists and child killers. And all these details prove out this was incompetence. And the thing is, if he wasn't, this Broward County Sheriff, wasn't a liberal... They'd be dual-angling this, that the police are incompetent and guns are bad. But he's a liberal. He's a Hillary flack, so he gets away with it. More to follow on this, because you know i got to cover tomorrow. So hopefully Sunday I'll do a short podcast, or sometime next week I'll do a short podcast just on that. That'll be the subject. But it just doesn't stop. We're allowing children to go around and fucking tell everybody what the fuck they were supposed to do and simultaneously, their circular logic says that no one shouldn't have a gun. But if they're supposed to rewrite the Constitution, why can't they have a fucking gun? I mean, fuck's sake. What is wrong with you? To uh, DACA. 
Illegal immigrants who dodged California ice rains raid after Dem Mayor tip-off rearrested for new crimes. 230 of them. One of them did some serious shit. Burglary. And now, Border Patrol agents are refusing to hand over illegal immigrants with felony warrants to the police. That's the new thing. Media's losing their mind. I didn't grab any sound bites, but they're losing their mind over it. But the reality is, why would you? They're not going to do anything about it. In a quick little bite, Democrat leaders are backing off their demand that Dreamer protection be part of the 2018 budget negotiations, which we'll cover in the next podcast, because I'm telling you there's more pork. There's more pork for liberal causes in this omnibus than a bacon factory. But the money shot, which i got to stop saying because I've said it like three times a day, California appoints illegal alien to state office. California has first illegal alien in state office after Senate, Pre- Senate President Pro Temp Kevin DeLeon, Democrat from Los Angeles, appointed Elizabeth Mateo to the California Student Opportunity and Access Program Project Grant Advisory Committee. The most important thing about this is on her Facebook, if you actually follow it, her ass literally thanks Mexico for graduating high school. That's, yeah, that's, that, that's where we're at. Had a soundbite on opioid. You know they're going to go against something Trump. But I, I, I can't keep skipping the Hillary. Gotta get some Hillary in. People says Hillary Clinton reportedly fractured her wrist in India. It happened after she apparently slipped in the bathtub of her hotel. She was taken to a hospital where a CT scan and x-ray reportedly revealed a minor fracture. Yesterday, she wore a scarf around her right arm and hand as she toured monuments. On Monday, Clinton slipped twice while walking down the steps of a historic palace. A spokesperson for Clinton did not immediately respond to people's request for comment. Tricky. So to try to clean up her fucking truth, which is what she literally believes. I mean, I'll give Hillary Clinton only credit for the fact that she fucking hates us all and she says it. So, you know, at least she's not like the rest of these liberal uh, politicians and media people who try to pretend they don't when everything they say pretty much says they do. Clinton, I meant no disrespect with Trump voters. I understand how some of what I said upset people and could be misinterpreted misinterpreted i meant no disrespect to any individual or group and i want to look at the future as much as anybody everybody says you meant it every liberal liberal on a comment part of a hill article said fuck that screw her claire mccaskill agreed with it and then tried to pull pitch Fact checkers from PolitiFact and Snopes said, no, they defended her. She really didn't say anything that bad. Red State Democrat rips it. Senator Heidi Heinkamp said, I wish she'd just go the fuck away. Chunk Unger, all these people who had their feelings hurt by what Hillary Clinton said about Trump voters, the same people who have insulted liberals with glee their whole lives. Is no one in the media aware of this as they constantly cater to the very sensitive feelings of conservatives? When has that ever happened? When? And in the wake of it, with the midterms coming, listen to this montage of liberals trying to fucking skate away from Hillary's cock trap. 
that border, those border communities there between Ohio and Pennsylvania. It sounded like Hillary Clinton was talking about those people. What do you say to that? I say that I don't really, I'm not going to look back. I... No, it's not helpful at all. And in fact, my friend Hillary Clinton is wrong. This was bad. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. Uh, she was wrong, and clearly it's not helpful. <laughs> uh, it was not a great statement to make. In politics, we should not criticize the voters. And I don't think that's the way you should talk about any voter, especially ones in my state. I thought that it was time for them to back off right now, right but, now. But I don't think they're helping the party right now. Message. She is not helping the Democratic Party, and I think she should take a very long vacation and leave the future of the party to other people. Uh, Democrats are going to have to distance themselves from these remarks and distance themselves from her. I'm going to let her do her comments, and the rest of us are going to focus on the future. Uh, but when does Hillary Clinton ride off into the sunset? I don't want I don't her know. passion. <laughs> What's the answer? That's soon enough. The party of the future is not Hillary Clinton's party. I think we need to let her live and let her go off and do whatever it is that she is doing. It's the right to express her point of view, and she obviously gets press coverage. But we are moving on to the next chapter in America. Own it, you fucks. It's what you really feel. It's how you literally, literally, literally campaign on. You don't give a fuck about normal Americans. You don't give a fuck about anybody between the coasts. When you fucking campaign, you avoid it. You don't care about red states. And red states aren't really cared about by Republicans. No politician cares about the middle of the state. Because they know we're just going to go vote. And that's the thing about it. You don't have to fire us up to vote, but yet you still don't work for it. Which blows my fucking mind. So just fucking own it. You hate most of the country. Because to be quite honest, only about 10% of this country is rabid to the left. And 10% of the country is rabid to the right. And 80% of us just are trying to fucking pay the electricity bill. So that 10% who you skeet all over with your craziness, what does it say about you, that, or them, excuse me, that you have to fire them up with something? The Democrats are so pathetic right now, the only thing they have to run on is David fucking Hogg. That's it. They can even get that little prick out there and let him intersectionality his ass off to try to get people to go to the goddamn polls. Because even by now, you've wore Trump the fuck out. You got people fucking, I talked to liberals who are sick of hearing about it. They're done. They're just done. How many more ways can you attack them? And by this far along, you know you're not going to impeach him. The whole Mueller thing is just to keep it in the media. Keep it going. Keep the negative flowing. And maybe we can get him to capitulate. And that's the thing about this. You know, as a conservative independent, I'm just going to do a short rant, and then we're going to go to music break. But i got to say, I'll give the Dems one thing. When they took over in 2008, them motherfuckers gave no shits and told Republicans to go fuck themselves. And granted, they have the media bubble that supports them, so they can get away with a lot easier. They said, go fuck yourself, we're ramming this home. Whether they agreed or not, they rammed home Affordable Care Act, they got that fucking shit through. Conservatives, they they try to still compromise. And you can't anymore. You just can't. If you compromise with this 
current Democratic Party, you're basically passing shit that still funds Planned Parenthood. And that's what we'll find about the omnibus in the next podcast. Planned Parenthood is still going to be funded. Even though the base and most normal Americans are going, they made $1.5 billion. Why do they need my $500 million? Why? They just don't say, fuck you. Get your shit into law. Fuck them. It's been that way since 2000 with Bush. Be like them while you own the power. Because come 2019, you're going to lose one of them. The center of the house is going to be gone. And you're not going to get dick done. So, off to a music break and tweets of the day. And I just want to close, kind of like how we started, media bias. This is actually... A major news network, the Peacock. This is one of their ads that they made. And it just reeks gun control now. Hashtag. I don't want something like this ever to happen again. I want us to take action. Today we are doing more than just taking a first step. I want change and I need it now. MSNBC will be on the ground in Washington for the March for Our Lives. Live coverage begins Friday and continues all day Saturday on MSNBC.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Tweets of the day. And once again, remember those of the show, I'm cutting these down some. Planned Parenthood action. People deserve to know that the information they're getting is hacked by science, not ideology. This was a threat from NARAL. Obawechu Ekoche. Indeed, Planned Parenthood finally says something true. People deserve to know that abortion entails a poisoning, crushing, or cutting up in shreds and suctioning out of a living, growing baby from the mother's womb. You want science? Yes. I'm all for it. Monica Burke. A friend of mine works at one of these fake clinics. They don't pose as an abortion clinic. They offer diapers, maternity clothes, babysitting, formula, etc. to rural communities that need it. It's time to end the lines about pregnancy resource centers. Wasn't found for women's health care. It was founded by Margaret Sanger in order to weed out undesirable people from society through abortion. Why do you women fall for it? Sam the Foo Jenny, political bunny who used to cover a lot on the show. They are run by people who know there are better options than abortion. Some big drama about starting to close down some of these clinics and make laws that you got to be a doctor. Then there was Bernie Sanders. Twitter was all about the lib this week. Whether or not talked about on the major networks, income and wealth inequality is one of the defining issues of our time. Please join me, Senator Warren, Michael Moore, Derek Hamilton, and others on a Facebook Monday, March 19th, for an incredible, important discussion. So they had two going. Take your fucking guns, and us rich people are going to tell you about inequality. Bernie, will you be joining the Wealth Inequality Forum from your first, second, or third home? That came from B-L-A-U-B-O-K. Jim Swift, is this the Wealth Seminar? James Hassan, Elizabeth Warren, income inequality warrior, brought and flipped the foreclosed homes of those down on their luck before a political career. Stephen Miller, and even worse, those homes sit on land that is belonged to by Elizabeth Warren. Josh Perry sums up my thoughts. What colossal hypocrites. It goes on and on and on, but Lord Single Malt gets our tweet of the day on this thread. This is the equivalent of three lions holding a town hall on gazelle safety. (laughs) Hey, tweet of the day! Even Trump wives are starting to leave. Don Jr.'s wife, did you see this? Yes. Yes. Yes, Donnie Fuckface, his uh, his wife filed for divorce. She's citing irreconcilable douchiness. <laughs> says uh, says she wants to see other creeps. <laughs> to our hate tweets, that of course was Bill Maher still doing the liberal thing, staying classy about somebody's divorce. Then Ivanka Trump taking workforce development and infrastructure in Iowa today. 
Initiatives include a robust plan to expand skills-focused learning. Blah, blah, blah. Mother Jones, Editor-in-Chief, Clara Jeffrey. This is Ivanka's dumbest photo op yet. Looky me, doing science. Classy liberals came rolling on in. I don't think Ivanka Trump can spell science. My kids play dress-up in little lab coats like that when he was five. Arrested Development runs in the Trump family. Jingo ate your baby. Science Barbie. And on and on and on because they're so fucking classy. Will, looking me, trashing an exponentially more beautiful and successful woman because bitter hag feminism. Darren, the left is so hypocritical. You guys will hate anything associated with this family. What happened to the respecting woman thing? What happened to it, Libs? Then Mary Catherine Ham, who I love, who lost her freaking husband and is raising two girls. I, I just... Don't even understand this. It's a woman. Mary Catherine Ham on CNN grates on my last nerve. Her fake, I'm a moderate libertarian stick, her non-moving wooden looking teeth, and disgusting nasally voice makes me want to puke. Turn anytime she's on. Who says that? Ben Rhodes, a new few months will, the next few months will demonstrate whether America is governed by the rule of law or rule of a demagogue and enabled by a corrupt Political party. He actually did that. I'm not going to read the replies because you know what conservatives said. Do you do you have any self awareness? William Legate official Drudge Report poll on whether or not Trump should fire Mueller. Eighty percent yes, twenty percent no. Impeach Trump. Impeach Trump. Drudge poll is a Republican poll. Came out. Yeah, that was. They, they, they come up, they came on fucking glued. And then Zach Bornstein, a lefty, um, Chelsea were alive in 1944. She'd spend more time protecting Hitler's children against wolves than helping the Jews. And I think it's because Chelsea Clinton lately, has been defending Ivanka Trump. The world attacked her. By the end, Chelsea, that was a dumb thing to say, and I apologize. Do a lot of good work. Please let me know if I can help in any way. I'm sorry. Semi-auto unicorn. One of my favorite smartasses on Twitter. Punches child in face. Sorry about that. See, I made it all better. And then our last hate tweet, because I'm cutting it down once again. We got nothing but hate. ESPN stats and info. Nevada overcame a 22-point deficit to defeat Cincinnati 75-73. Finishing the game on a 32-8 run in the last 11 minutes. You're going, Tony, what is so hateful about that? Nevada beat them. That's great. You will not believe the uh, the amount of asshats on the right and left that showed the ESPN analytical stupid shit, which just shows you're a total goob. If you're actually watching the percentage to win, that little stat they put up everywhere. I mean, I see it when I follow a Packer game on their app where the little ball moves around. And you're delayed, like, by a minute, so if they score a touchdown, you don't really know it until, like, final hits. You know, they do a winning touchdown. They were likening it to Hillary losing to Trump or Trump beating Hillary. So I put it in the hate of the day because you're all a bunch of fucking asshats. Not everything is political. 
Get a fucking life! Hypocrisy! Made clear to 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 our viewers and yes. listeners is that look, this is the inauguration represented the beginning of his second term. Yes, but it also represented the countdown of the end of his presidency. That's right. And the reality is, uh, like anything else, you better get what you can while he's there because look, come 2016, that's it. Well, you know, I don't know, and I think some people are missing something here. The president has put in place an organization that contains the kind of database mm -hmm. that no one has ever seen before in life. That's going to be very, very powerful, and whoever... In terms of the organizing for America that he's now shifting to become a 501c4. That's right, that's right. And that database will have information about everything on every individual in mm -hmm. ways that it's never been done before and whoever runs for president on the democratic ticket have to deal with that they're going to have to go down with that database and the concerns of those people uh, because they can't get around it and he's been very smart I mean it's very powerful what he's leaving in place and I think that's what any democratic candidate is gonna have to deal with I'm starting right off with those sound bites and that is people talking about Obama's data mining and how he had so much data. Because right now on your media, if you're watching the TV, you're pushing this analytics company and they stole shit and it's ho horrible. New York Times head, their head, their, their front fucking page was how Trump consultants exploited the Facebook data of millions. Cambridge Analytica. But back in the day, data you can believe in. The Obama campaign digital mastermind cash in. <clears throat> so you just heard Maxine Water confirm Obama has a database with information on every individual. Earlier today, reported as former staffer Barack Obama 2012 presidential campaign, who admitted that the campaign had harvested mass amounts of Facebook data for targeting campaign in a 2013 interview, California Congressman Maxine Waters confirmed it. So I just want to start right off. As you hear it repeated over and over and over and over on your media, how he fucked us all and he infringed on us. I'm not even going to go into the ugly about... How many Google people did stuff and how they're even talking about Google data and how a fucking dude from Google was on our campaign staff for the love of Jesus. 
Because even back in Obama's day, Google staffers had at least 427 meetings at the White House over the course of Obama presidency, averaging more than one a week. The White House close relationship with Google was highlighted in a data published Friday. Record shows 169 Google employees met with 182 government officials. Google top lobbyists paid 128 visits to the White House. Of course, Google's frequent guest company responded in a statement. Another article. In the final weeks before Election Day, a scary statistic emerged in the database of Barack Obama's Chicago headquarters. Half the campaign's targeted swing voter states under age 29 had no listed phone. And the same people, same people, the fucking same people that are sitting on your TV saying, oh, this is an invasion of goddamn privacy, they were telling us there's no fucking way that Hillary Clinton can't lose because they have that huge ground campaign and all the data from organizing for America. Media malpractice. Free beacon. Moving on. MSDNC shows a hilariously unnecessary chart of Trump's tweet on Robert Mueller. The whole world lost their mind because it looked like a fucking hockey stick. Here's Ari Melber from MSDNC showing these people are fucking douches. Trump does not only work off impulse. Mueller has been on the job 10 months and Trump didn't tweet his name until the McCabe firing. This is a new deliberate phase. We reported the fairly basic point and apparently upset the free beacon. You know, that's the problem with the Chuck Toads and I've already tell a million times Mark Halperin. They just think they're better than everybody else. How dare you fuck? We'll dox you. Then there was this. Christine Quinn bashes unqualified lesbian Cynthia Nixon. I'm not going to read the litany of bullshit, but the reality is they're both liberals, and it was okay. Maxie Tanny, or Max Tanny. Christine Quinn, CNN contributor and maybe potential Cuomo running mate, says Cynthia Nixon is an unqualified lesbian, noting she did not support Quinn's 2013 mayoral bid. How the fuck did somebody get away with that? If I even put the word lesbian in my fucking soup coolers, it's over! Then Kelly O'Donnell, once again the peacock, St. Patrick's Day note, Donald Trump has used term paddy wagon, and she was fucking offended by paddy wagon. Mary Ann, not Ginger. Mary Ann, not Ginger. That's her. Mary Ann, not Ginger. That's cute. Imagine walk, waking up every day looking for something to be pissed off and offended by. What a horrid existence these libs have. Liz Mack. Who cares? This reveals more about you than anything else. And it's true. It's totally true. Yashir Ali brings us to our next one. D.C. lawmakers say recent snowfall caused by Rothschild's Controlling the climate. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not even going to explain it. Rich people made snow? Are you fucking stupid? Then a fun hypocrisy, because I love bashing Jim Acosta. He's been whining for weeks, this is from Jason Howerton, about press secretary not calling him. Last week, he even questioned her courage. The second he goes on vacation, Sarah Evans calls on CNN senior White House correspondent Jeff Zellini. Gave him the lead off. <laughs> Good autumn. The Hill brings us another one. Shep Smith, Fox News opinion programs are strictly entertainment. Some of our opinion programming is there strictly to be entertainment, Smith told Time Daily Magazine. Daniel Adahario, Chef Smith, has the hardest job on Fox News. We serve different masters. 
And then he goes on to bash Hannity. We work for differently, different reporting chains. We have different rules. They don't really have rules on the opinion side. They can say whatever they want if it's their opinion. Everybody summed up Betsida1 is her handle. Hey, Shep News team. You should probably apply for CNN. Yes. Here's some media bias in history. I said I was going to do this all the time, but I actually haven't. March 10th, on this day in media bias history, CBS anchor Scott Pelley suggested there's no point investigating Hillary's email scandal. What difference does any of this make, is what he actually said. I thought that was apropos. Another one on this day in media history, Time Magazine reacts to America's victory in the first Gulf War by fretting that the upsurge of patriotism must be contained. This is senior editor George J. Church. The most stunning, overwhelming victory in war is a beginning as well as an end. The problem now may be to contain the surge of pride and unity before bursts and bounds of reason and passes into jingoism, even hubris. God damn it, don't like your country. What is wrong with you? Had a bunch more. I'll condense down to the last one. This is for March 16th. On this day in media bias history, Dan Rather tells viewers that Republican budget cuts will demolish aid programs designed to help children and the elderly. Sweet Jesus Lord on a popsicle stick. That's from 1995 and nothing has changed. Nothing. ESPN public editor takes us in a new direction amidst liberal network's future has never been so uncertain, but ends the article with, go suck a dick. We're not changing. We're going to stay libtard. Biden. Huge thing going on now that Trump insults Biden. It was going on today when I was going to my crack appointment. And literally... He said something. Trump bashes Biden, and it was just all I could see on Twitter. Everybody was aghast. This is Biden talking about Trump. Former Vice President Joe Biden took a shot at President Trump on Saturday by saying he's dumbs down American values. During a camp Spain speech for North Dakota Senator Heidi Heitkamp, Biden called Trump out for what he believes to be the mocking of individuals based on their looks. How someone in the highest office in America can look at some and make fun of what they have as a disability, or make fun of their weight, or make fun of how they look, said Biden. Biden continued, think about how that dumbs down the values that we Americans have. You know, that was a horrible incident, but this douche nozzle is part of the party that goes on TV every day and tells every American that doesn't agree with them, you're fucking deplorable, you're racist, sexist, xenophobe, homophobe, transphobe, for just disagreeing, not actually being any of those things. I mean, we have taken racism for being using the N-word to, I don't like Obama's policy. Or in extreme settings, I said the word Chicago and I'm a white guy. So shut the fuck up, Uncle Joe. Our media mash condensed. Tillerson was fired so we could go to war with Iran, somebody says. Andrea Joker Mitchell makes it again. Remembers the day fondly when a black SCOTUS nominee was taken down by women. And a CNN, and a CNN, this is a pizza maker, coaches Dems on how to properly do Trump derangement syndrome. Enjoy. George, the Mueller investigation should continue, must continue. 
But there was something else that happened this past week that should happen. Gina Haspel, a practitioner and advocate of torture, was nominated to be head of the CIA. And the Senate Intelligence Committee, you had Senator Langford on of the committee, has been sitting on a 6,700-page report that must be declassified. It was commissioned by the committee. It has never been, except for a summary report, been released. And it is vital to show what the committee found in terms of lying about the torture program and also how ineffectual it was. That should lead the Senate to not confirm Gina Haspel. But the declassification of such information is in vital in the public interest, especially as we sit here on the 15th anniversary this month of a war we were taken into by lies, by deceit, George, and the destabilization of the Middle East yeah. George, and our country. But again, I come back, George. There was more news this past week, a lot of ink and talk spilled about McCabe and Mueller. What about the new Secretary of State? He's, he, he gets more funds from the Coke industry brothers, and he, he wants to go to war. Hometown. He wants That's, to go to war with. Listen, well, well, he wants to go to war with well, Iran. Rex Tillerson, the way he did it, is also that was humiliating. No tears shed. No tears shed. Rex Tillerson, there are tears shed for a hawk. And it now seems, if I could, just consistent in this administration, seems to be a desire to take this country to war, to conflict with Iran, which I think must be... One of the issues that we face every single week is, is, is the, the amount of news that of continues news. to flow. I know. Uh, out I'm of not there. making your life easy. And, and, <laughs> and Matt... All of us who covered the Hill admired Louise Slaughter. There was a day in October of 1991 when Louise Slaughter and Patch Roeder and Nita Lowy, they marched. Those House women, all Democrats, marched on the Senate. Unheard of. And we were all stunned at this, this protest against the, the all-male Senate Judiciary Committee proceeding, ramming through the confirmation of Clarence Thomas. They slowed it down a bit. He wasn't confirmed until a week later. But they just marched right over to the Senate and interrupted the Senate lunch the Tuesday lunch. It was remarkable. And they just came right over. And Patsy Mink was there and Eleanor Holmes Norton and Louise Slaughter was just right there in the middle of all of that. It was very brave. There was a fascinating special election in Pennsylvania this week where Connor Lamb, the Democrat, seems poised to win. He's ahead. There may be a recount. Who knows? It's likely he will win this race. And he ran in a very interesting way. He didn't really run against President Trump. Not at all. He ran more against Nancy Pelosi, to be frank, um, what are the lessons that Democrats should take from his apparent victory? Well, first of all, John, Trump ran against him. Yeah, Trump went up uh, to Pennsylvania that's two true. times. That's true. But, and, but Connor Lamb did. But Connor, but, but that's different than saying that the Democrat, in this case, Connor Lamb, ran against the president because he didn't. I mean, he dodged yeah. any questions about the Democrat. What, the what, what Connor Lamb did is what many of our members will do. Would you advise Democrats though running around the country? And you know that many Democrats, liberals, progressives are obsessed with the president. Uh, frankly, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Would you say warn them? Don't make your campaign all about Donald Trump. Oh, look, every campaign is different. And that is, of course, true in House races. It's also true in Senate races. And now in our new segment, Media Bias 101, I want you to literally listen to this goat fuck on MSDNC. This is two conservatives, supposedly the only conservatives on MSNBC, and listen how they talk about conservatives. Then Brian Williams, outright on the same network, MSDNC, Pretty much telling 
GOP senators, you're fucking cowards because you won't impeach the president from your party. And closing with Katie Turr getting dick slapped. Or maybe a vagina slapped. I'm thinking after fucking Keith Oberman. I'm sure she's a lesbian now. By a senator saying, I'm just trying to keep it on the facts. Because you will hear her filibuster every liberal talking point to just shut the motherfucker down. And he's a friendly con. He's a non-Trumper. Enjoy. During the McCain-Palin campaign, it was our job to um, keep secret the degree to which we were concerned that Sarah Palin might not have been up for the job of vice president, and uh, we did. After the campaign, people like John, ha John Hallman and his co-author Mark Halperin wrote a book called Game Change. HBO went on to make a movie, and at that point, um, which would be the parallel to Rex Tillerson being gone, um, at that point, we um, shared some of the things we'd seen and, and some of the concerns that we had. There were many, many people long after the hour that it was clear that she was unfit, temperamentally, intellectually, from every conceivable character perspective, from a veracity perspective, we're still suspending disbelief and saying, oh yes, this person, because she's on Fox, because she has a rabid fan base, I'm going to say that yes, she'd be qualified to be president. Eventually, it all comes out. But what we're seeing lately is this emboldened president. We can learn and study about trade wars, for example, by reading about the impact or the, of the Smoot-Hawley tariff. Uh, or we can understand the impact of a trade war experientially today uh, with the recession and possible depression and the loss of jobs that will follow. We seek to change the subject from his relationship and payoffs and maybe physical threats to a porn star. This is extraordinary. Uh, this attack on the United States of America. How is this not the lead of the news? We're talking about payoffs to a porn star. The country is under attack. The country is under, the, under threat. The president refuses to act. He increasingly acts like somebody who has been compromised by a hostile foreign power. He is increasingly acting erratically as this criminal investigation draws nearer. I do note more and more people are comfortable tossing around the I-word uh, impeachment. So far, they are mostly a group of Republicans who have announced they're not running again, but there are some exceptions. Tonight, in a speech in Washington, by way of taking a swing at Maxine Waters, uh, accusing her of having a low IQ, the president used the word impeachment uh, when quoting Waters, saying he ought to be impeached, and then he defended himself, saying there's no evidence. Um, do you see any more Republicans getting courage? And Jeremy, how about the House? How about Republicans in the House? Uh, it appears to be the opposite of whatever a profile in courage is. If yeah. the president it feels so confidently that he's innocent and feels so confidently it will end well in his favor, and if he really wants the Mueller investigation to go on unimpeded, why is he tweeting what he's tweeting? Why did he tweet what he tweeted over the weekend? Why is his Can lawyer coming out? It? Why is his lawyer but coming out and saying this investigation needs 
But, but, and, but think, think why, about is he, what, why is he saying as much as he Think about what the FBI did. The top people, the people I just talked about, many of them been fired, a bunch of them have been demoted. They took a campaign opposition research document, dressed it all up, made it sound like it was legitimate intelligence, took it to a FISA court to get a warrant to spy on a fellow American citizen. When they went to the court, they didn't tell him the whole truth. They didn't tell him who paid for the document. They didn't tell him Hold the on, author of the that's, document. That's what, that's what Devin Nunes, that's a Republican partisan finding that's not no, what the Democrats accurate. found in the House that intel. They found Even that they, no, they found points that they, that I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. We have it in, in This isn't a in rabbit hole. This is why there's white. frustration, I think, from Hold the White on. House Hold and on. from so many Americans. Plus, they didn't tell the court that the author of the dossier, Christopher Steele, his relationship. They did tell the court. They didn't tell the court. This, Katie that his relationship with the FBI had been terminated. And why was it terminated? Because Christopher Steele was out leaking information to the press. The same thing Andy McCabe was doing, by the way. I want to keep you focused. I want to keep you focused. Congressman, I want to keep you focused on this. And, and respectfully, let's talk. I want talk to keep it. you focused let's on the talk, facts. Let's talk. We'll close our hypocrisy and go into stats of a day with a great soundbite from Megan McCain, pretty much talking about this whole Cambridge Analytics goat fuck and hearing all the libs not let her speak. She'll be off this in a while because she's getting too many good points in. There's a lot of sound bites coming out of it. But I, once again, if you're going to go after Trump, there's a million things to go after. But saying he rat fucked data after you've claimed Obama is the data god who cracked the code and had everybody's fucking dick sizes. Man, you guys are just a bunch of fucking hypocrites. I agree. I mean, I agree with this, but this is something that this I don't completely understand this scandal now in the sense that this has been happening since 2012. The Obama campaign did this brilliantly. They used um, micro targeting and data mining. Sasha Eisenberg actually has a book called The Victory Lab. It was an article that was turned into a book that showed how the Obama campaign utilized and targeted voters. And the exact quote is a new political currency that predicted the behavior of individuals. The campaign didn't just know who you were. It knew exactly how it could turn you into the type of person it wanted you to be. So the double standard I don't understand right now is I'm against this as a whole. I agree. I think this is very dystopian. I don't like our information being used. I don't like the idea that we as Facebook users are the target and the product that they're using to manipulate us. But it happened with Obama and it was lauded by the media as being genius. And now the Trump campaign was did it. Or Cambridge Analytical Scandal. Well, yeah, it was I, micro-targeting and data. The New York Times in 2012 said it reported this feature that hailed the Obama campaign digital masterminds and it said quote the campaign's exhaustive use of facebook triggered the site's internal safeguards and that's what we're talking about right now the internal uh -huh, safeguards that uh -huh, have been targeted uh -huh. and they said they'd sigh and say you can do this as long as you stop doing it on november 7th so we're talking it, it, this has been going on for a long time and i think the problem right now is for people like me is again i'm against this wholeheartedly i think cambridge analytical in general is sort of a shady company it worked for ted cruz it's funded by the mercers same people Steve have funded right mm -hmm. yes but i think that it is it is interesting to me that there wasn't a problem with it when the Obamas did it. Our stats of the day, suicide rate for white children and teens between 10 and 17 was up 70% between 
between 20.006 and 21.6. The latest data analysis available from the CDC. Although black children and teens kill themselves less often than white do, the rate of increase was higher at 77%. I just want to make sure you understand as liberals run around talking about the fucking transgender bullshit. It's an age group that already does it. And when you throw on top of it hormones and all the other bullshit in life and social media and crap, 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 um, you know, it's bound to happen. I have a soundbite that I think would fix a lot of our problems, and it comes from a young girl. Before we just stand here for 17 minutes and don't do nothing, because that's what we're all going to do right now, um, I just wanted to say, like, we're out here for shooting, school shootings. You guys are all in a school, okay? And these school shootings are happening from these kids that you guys are cornering out, that you're bullying, that you're doing this, all this stuff to, because you think it's funny, and it's not funny. All of these kids just want to be themselves. They want to be who they want to be in their own school. They're here to learn. They're not here to bully. Kids shouldn't be shooting up schools. We are teenagers. You should say that you love your neighbor. You should be there for them. Sit with them at lunch. Tell them that you're their friend, that you're going to be there for them whenever they need you. Because just because they're already dealing with bullying at school enough, and they have their own problems at home, whether you know it or not, everybody does. And I don't see why it's so hard to be nice and care and love each other. Like, it's, it's not hard. And I know some of you are going to laugh and look at me like I'm stupid, but I don't care. Because somebody said something while we're out here. Somebody stood up. And I'm sorry that I look mad and I'm saying this aggressively, but you guys won't get it any other way. Because it's not a joke. It really isn't. Most of you are out here because you don't want to be in class. That's it. Like, it's stupid. I don't know. I just wanted to say that. I tell you what, with all the school shooting and everything that's going on in our world, there's something wrong with these kids. And I have talked a lot on the show. It, it really comes down to social media, the Internet, how these kids interact how they get bullied, they feel more uh, bullied because of the internet than if somebody called you fat, like when I was a kid. Um, and I think that young girl sums it up. If the media and all the liberals would have taken the energy off this shooting to project on these kids, what the fuck is wrong with you? And had kids on TV saying, you know, we need to start taking care of kids, stop bullying kids, and stop doing this. Because it doesn't seem to change it. We talk a lot about gay, black, all that shit. Kid, you know, that's the stuff the media focus. But just everyday bullshit is what making kids kill themselves and go kill other kids. But that didn't make CNN. That made a conservative blog. Interesting. Other stats... I always do stupid ones. Here's one. Americans are drinking a daily cup of coffee at the highest level in six years. 64% of Americans are drinking coffee, which I thought was just amazing. And our last stat before we go into our next segment without a music break, net stock, net, Netflix stock, let's do that right, is plummeting in response to Obama's show. It's dropped nearly 3%, and as of press time, it's down 9.35%. 
Didn't cover it on the show. I was waiting for more information, but he got with them and signed a deal, and they're basically going to start doing a bunch of libtard shit and shove more crap down and brainwash fucking people and all that. And it looks like it didn't work. So, didn't worked. Didn't worked. What, what does that even even mean? So, to start a California segment, I, I, I there's so many articles lately that have been coming out about all the crazy shit in California, how people are leaving, sanctuary states. I wanted to cover some of it and some articles I've hit because these are liberals writing it, not conservatives. But any argument about California starts with stats. This is a fucked up state. Remember, this is one of the states that had Proposition 8, and they banned gay marriage. That, that was the way it was. They didn't want gay marriage until it was overturned in the courts. And their documents is insane, all right? And they don't really identify them. But basically, the latest thing, undocumented, blah, 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 not directly identified in any representation nationally or state survey. But the best estimates suggest that in 2014, the year of the most recent data available, California was home to between 2.35 and 2.6 million undocumented immigrants. Nearly a quarter of the nation's undocumented immigrants reside in California, where they constitute more than 6% of the state population. Nationally, the undocumented population has stabilized at approximately 11 million undocumented combination of increased enforcement, voluntary returns, a fewer new immigrants have increased the average length of residence in the United States with 66% of undocumented immigrants having lived here more than 10 years. We've covered on the show how much this burdens the California budget because they all get free 99. 78% of the undocumented are from Latin America, 52% come from Mexico, and 13 are from other places. Nearly one in ten California worker is undocumented. The labor force includes about 1.75 million undocumented immigrants to a PRC. This is the second highest nationwide concentration of undocumented workers in the U.S. after Nevada at 10.4%. Undocumented immigrants workers disproportionate in agriculture, construction, and manufacturing, and it's all under the table. But with these douche nozzles, they'll get Social Security while you and I won't. Many undocumented immigrants live with family members who are citizens. Counties vary in their sanctuary policies for undocumented immigrants, but it's pretty worldwide down there. And the worst place is actually Los Angeles with uh, estimating 814,000 undocumented immigrants. A majority of 60... Uh, well, 67%? No, it's more than 82% of Californians under a PPIC statewide survey. So there should be legal pathway to citizenship, and they should do it. Not just be undocumented. But having been taken over by the crazies, this isn't enough. It's not enough to have a huge percentage of your state who's drawing on funds that are meant for American citizens, giving them driver's licenses, let them vote, illegally work the whole nine yards. I believe a lot of this has to do with the California secession movement. And here is a soundbite of that. 
Calls for a California exit from the union started Tuesday night, even before President-elect Donald Trump declared victory. But as we asked earlier in the show, can a state secede the union? So again, here are the numbers. Hillary Clinton won California with 61 percent of the vote and 33 percent for Trump. But with nearly three million people voting for the new president, what are the chances that Cal exit can happen? Well, this is not the first time that the state has reacted this way. Texas made threats in 2012 when President Obama won re-election. We sent CBS 13's Angela Musalam out to get answers about the Cal Exit movement. Well, Sam Agent Cal Exit supporters held a rally right here at the Capitol yesterday. They're calling for the state to secede from the union, but according to one attorney, that's unconstitutional. But it's not stopping the so-called Cal Exit supporters. Trump's values are anathema to California values. Theo Slater represents the California National Party, a political organization that launched in 2014. He says California is a progressive and diverse state, and he says having Trump as president threatens those beliefs. But our short-term and medium-term goals are better government for California. The National Party's long-term goal is to get California a divorce from the United States. Slater says the Cal Exit movement has exploded around the state since Donald Trump was elected president on Tuesday. Massive wave of interest has really taken us by surprise. But can California actually secede from the union? There's no. There's no provision in the United States Constitution that allows for secession. David Mastagni, a constitutional attorney here in Sacramento, says the only way California can secede is if two-thirds of the Senate, two-thirds of the House of Representatives, and three-quarters of the states vote to approve a secession. Mastagni says the other option is to have 38 out of 50 states ratify an amendment allowing for California to secede. Anything a state does during a period of secession is a nullity. It means nothing unless the secession is successful. And Mastagni says if Californians continue pushing for a secession knowing it's unconstitutional. The federal government would undoubtedly come in like they did in the Reconstruction era reestablish California as a state. As protests erupted around California and the country in the wake of Trump's presidential win, some are now calling for unity in a nation that has become divided. We're divided enough as it is as a, as a nation. Why divide us even more? As a Southerner, hearing that on a news show is just astounding. I, I do have to see the gay march and all that shit because our local, you know, NBC affiliate, which is what we watch in, in, uh, the biggest city in Tennessee, Nashville, you know, they literally push all the liberal tripe, but you wouldn't think that you'd hear news anchors literally say in, with the tone that, oh, this is okay, but it's just not them who want to leave, forget secession, Americans want to boot California. Almost a quarter of Americans think taking their state out of the union is a swell idea. <laughs> that was a Reuters IPSOS poll. But in searching for this information, there's also a group that wants the inland, is what they call it, California, to become a state, and then all the cities in the bay down to Los Angeles, they become a separate state. So California's so fucked up, they want to. Most of their citizens want to leave the union. America wants them to leave the fucking union, and within that group, they want to leave California because they not only hate the red states, they hate part of California. But the media makes California out to be a bastion. So I went and found this is from 2014, I believe, and I'm going to play them back to back. The freedom, freedom, real freedom, and this group covers it, and I'm going to play back-to-back 
freedom in California, and freedom in Tennessee. California ranks 49th in overall freedom and dead last in regulatory freedom in the country. The state has spent a decade at the bottom of our ranking. Net migration out of the state since 2000 is over 4%. On the fiscal side, the Golden State is highly indebted, and it spends significantly more than the rest of the country in many budgetary categories. Citizens face an above-average tax burden as well. The situation doesn't improve when we look at economic regulation. The state authorizes rent control, and eminent domain abuse has seen only token reform. Labor laws impose many costs on employers, and occupational licensing is rampant. The state's liability system is one of the worst in the country, and is continuing to decline. Despite a reputation for social liberalism, California scores poorly on personal freedom. It has a high incarceration rate and allows little gambling. It scores well on marriage freedom. California can improve their freedom ranking by scaling back state spending, reducing debt, enacting tort reform, and loosening occupational licensing. Tennessee is one of the freest states and has been for the last decade. However, the state's ranking slipped slightly since 2001, when it was second in overall freedom. Tennessee has the fourth lowest tax collections in the country, a relatively low government debt ratio, and about average spending. It is among the most fiscally decentralized states. The state is strong on labor market freedoms and is a right-to-work state. While its liability system, health insurance regime, and property rights protection are in the top 20, occupational freedom ranks poorly. Unfortunately, the volunteer state does not score as highly in the personal freedom ranking. It is mediocre on victimless crime arrest rates and asset forfeiture. Tennessee also has some of the most restrictive gaming laws in the country. Tennessee can improve its freedom ranking by reducing government spending, especially on utilities, and reducing the number of occupations that require state licensure. Not only did this, and this was a college that did this, pretty much show you it's not that great. Here's California violent crimes rate is higher than the national rate of 386 and ranks 15th among all states. In 2016, 60 percent of reported violent crimes in California were aggravated assaults, 31 percent were robberies, eight were rapes, and one percent were homicides. And considering that we cannot track illegals because they won't let them, 21 percent of those convicted of non-immigration crimes were non-citizens, 2.5 times their share of the population. This is from an article. Many immigration advocates argue that immigrants have much lower crime rates than natives. As my colleague Jessica Vaughn and I pointed out in a paper some years ago, however, the picture is far from clear. While there are other issues, the biggest problem with studying immigration crime in the states and localities do not systematically track the country of birth, citizenship, and legal status of those arrested, but the federal government does track the citizenship of those in convict. Those that are convicted. New data from the U.S. Sentencing Commission show that of those convicted of federal crimes between 2011 and 2016, 44.2 percent were non-U.S. citizens. 21.4 percent of immigrant crimes are excluded. In comparison, non-citizens are 8.4 percent of the adult population. Of this 8.4 percent, about 4 percent are illegal immigrants, and about 4 percent are legal. Immigrants. We've already shown on the show numerous times the states that do do it. They literally show that most of the crime and the problems 
are this community, especially for driving offenses. Without license, without insurance, DUI, hit and run, these are immigrants. So California, this great place, statistically, is not a great place. And I didn't even go in the financial portions. We've done that in the past. How their system is so burdened by their stance on illegal immigration. But I can sum them up with great articles like this is a liberal. San Francisco is suffering from the excess of its own liberalism. About two years ago, I moved to San Francisco from Manhattan in order to pursue a position in economic research. I'd originally been working in blah, 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 who gives a fuck. My only interaction with California had been limited to a week in Piedmont area of Oakland, California, during my junior year of college. Over the course of that first visit, I experienced a quintessential San Francisco that characterized what most people's expectation of the city are. I bought colorful groceries in Quaint Farmer's Market. I ate at In-N-Out Burgers with a special sauce and donned the silly hat as I scarfed it down. I gawked at the sheer amount of tie-dye a witness at Hyatt Asbury. I even braved the earthquake simulation. Between the receiving job offer my first day of work, I had precisely three weeks to relocate to the Bay Area. Blah, blah, blah. The sidewalks glitter with glass from smashed up car windows. And she goes down to break out. The crime rate is insane. Dystopian was depressing, pragmatic. In 2017, San Francisco experienced 31,322 thefts from vehicles alone. That is 85 thefts from vehicles per day, while an arrest was made in only 2%. Most of the break-ins are attributed to organized gangs and often committed by those with prior felony convictions. In addition to dangerous patches of broken glass, the sidewalks of San Francisco are often unaccompanied, are accompanied by truly staggering amount of trash. I didn't understand initially from all the trash was originating until I witnessed someone breaking open a public trash bin in order to sift through the items. Amongst the trash that lines the many sidewalks of San Francisco, there are often used needles and more than occasional human feces. Next paragraph. Public defecation is a serious problem. I, I just want that to sit. I, mean, I know i got listeners in San Francisco. I know this isn't you. But that's your city. You're not going to find a turn on fucking Nashville. The underbelly is seemingly everywhere. In addition to experience of foibles of day-to-day life in San Franciscoans, I've also been wholly disheartened by the relatively frequency of crimes I've encountered. While my car is yet to suffer smashed windows, I practice gratitude each morning when I find it intact. I have had no shortage of interaction with the underbelly. In the first two months of living in San Francisco, I was bystander in a drive-by shooting outside a restaurant where I was purchasing food. I was forced to hide in the kitchen of the restaurant after shots rang out. She then said, stuck in mismanagement and deterioration of human decency. Inefficient spending, gross shortage of housing, rent control antics, and fat city bureaucracies. The next article, Californians fed up with housing costs and taxes are fleeing the state. More Californians are moving from the Golden State, particularly lower-income residents, although even middle-class residents are saying goodbye. The trend is a symptom of state housing crunch and, for some, high taxes. Census Bureau data shows California lost just over 138,000 people to domestic migration in 12 months. Lower-cost states as Arizona, Texas, and Nevada are where these people are going. Yeah. Every podcast... I'm talking about people leaving California. They end up in Oregon a lot. That's why Oregon's a cesspool of fuck right now. Nobody's happy. Can't drive anywhere. Too many people. 
housing, fucking cost of living, out of control. But there's hope, as I dog California in a very disconjointed segment. This happened in Los Alamitos. No more deportations. I'm gonna let it shine. Build that wall! Build that wall! We're just asking you. Why are you looking out for other people? Shut your doors and your windows at your house. Yep. Yes. Why? Because it's my house. Exactly. To keep people out. Country fool. I am not so invested in this position that I cannot be changed. But I would ask you make some persuasive. Uh, arguments as to why this is not right for Los Alamitos. As I read about ICE rounding up the suspected illegal immigrants with common surnames, many are law-abiding citizens. And it reminds me of Nazi Germany. We have the law of the land, and that constitution says that the federal government is in charge of immigration law, not the state of California. The federal government is in charge. Undocumented individuals targeted are often male, leaving a large number of single mothers struggling to make ends meet after the deportation of their husbands. Many children and their parents are living in constant fear of separation. I urge you to vote no. And I'm hoping and praying that this is the first city. And I'm hoping and praying that other cities will wake up and put the American people first. We need to put the American agenda first. It has nothing to do with color. From El Salvador, it has nothing to do with immigration. It has to do with legal and illegal. That's it. Thank you very much. So the gist is, they voted four to one to stop being sanctuary. And within it, um, here, I believe in the law, I live here, and I couldn't be prouder, said Chris Cornell, 57. Reverend Melina Dodge, a Los Altos United Methodist Church, neighboring Long Beach, said the proposal goes against everything they believe in. Cusmudo said he introduced the ordinance because he feels the state is forcing local elected officials to violate the oath they took to uphold the Constitution. California legislators are bullying local elected officials and violating their oath. A long line of speakers, 53 in all, lined up to, to address the council Monday night. Their comments greeted with cheers and applause from different individuals, depending on where they stood. At times, the exchange got testy. One woman hailed the council members as pioneers. Two young children pleaded their, them to vote against it. Other protested the proposal and said it doesn't represent the values of the community. Some, including a representative from the ACLU, warned that the council that had approved the new local law would lead to a lawsuit. If you could build a big, beautiful wall along 605 Freeway, even though that would inconvenience me tremendously, I would give you a thumbs up, a Long Beach resident said. Samantha Reed, 19, a UC Irvine freshman who's been brainwashed from fucking birth, who graduated from Los Alamos High, told the council she won't forget it at election time. You do not represent me by passing this ordinance. One longtime resident, Javier Meja, choked up as he described that he's a proud of his Mexican heritage, but is 100% American. He urged the council to vote for the proposed ordinance. Which is why I close on that. I have said for a million fucking years on this show, Latina are not what these fucking Democrats think they are. They're not boarding babies. They're not into the gay marriage shit. And they, just like every other American who did it legally within their bloodline, want legal migration. So even though this is a disconjoined hit piece on California, these articles don't stop. 
Once a week I find a leaving fucking California. Once a week I find a liberal saying this fucking place sucks. Once a week I find normal citizens being crushed by liberals out there who own all power on all levels to do stuff for their next election, not for the citizens of California. I have lived five years of my life in California. It's a great state. But when you spend all day trying to figure out how the fuck you're going to get to work and not have to get up at 2 o'clock in the goddamn morning, there's got to be a time you shut the valve off. And politicians won't. Politicians don't give a fuck that there's water problems, electricity problems. There's just problems. It's a five-pound bag and you're trying to put 20 pounds worth of shit in it. It's got to spill somewhere. So, excuse the shitty segment. Sounded better on paper. Didn't come out too good. To a music break and news, social media, nuggets.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Kind of flipping it up this week and doing a military corner and then going into our college crazy with the bumpers there because I got a lot of stuff, so why not dedicate it like I used to do? Sadly, the Air Force has identified the seven killed in a helicopter crash in Iraq, Captain Mark K. Weber, Francis S. Gabriski, Captain Andreas B. O'Keefe, Captain Christopher T. Zenitz, Master Sergeant Christopher J. Raguzo, Staff Sergeant Deshun J. Briggs, two airmen, uh, Air Force, Master Sergeant William R. Posh, and Staff Sergeant Carl P. Enos. Um, may they rest in peace and God be with their family. It's a, and a time of war to die in an accident is just freaking horrible. The, Asshole teacher who bullied a student for wearing a USMC sweatshirt has been fired. We covered that quite a few podcasts ago, but it's good to hear that. Some other fuckheads have been caught. Fake veterans alleged create fake charity, raise 125000 and keep it for themselves, and they're going to jail. They called themselves the Wounded Warrior Foundation, Inc., and the Wounded Warrior Fund, to trick donors that they were the Wounded Warrior Project. And I hope they get wounded by a guy named Bubba. That's all I'm saying. Six dumb things veterans lie about on the internet. I want to cover this because it happens all the time. I just don't understand it. You served. Hey, that's it, man. You served. You don't need to lie about that shit. That's ballsy enough. One, their occupational specialty. Two, what they did in country. How badass they are at shooting, fighting, that time they were in the special forces, their accomplishments like awards, and how they handled the peanut butter shot. I don't know where that comes from. I never talked about anybody in my basic training shot. I really don't remember. I don't. That was from Task and Purpose. Um, no, it wasn't. It was from Military.com. Uh, this one also was the 10 greatest operation names. Operation Overlord, which was D-Day. Operation Rolling Thunder from Vietnam. Operation Red Dawn to get Saddam. Operation Vittles, which was the British blockade. Urgent Fury for Grenada. Desert Storm. Wrath of God, the Munich Olympics. The Man, the freaking Israelis don't give a fuck. Even their names are badass. Operation Barbarossa, the German assault into Russia. Operation Magic Carpet, a 1949-50 secret airlift that brought 50,000 Yemeni Jews from Aden. Didn't know about that one. It's an interesting name. 
And then, of course, Dynamo, which was Dunkirk. To really weird shit, you know, you can now buy your own F4 Phantom. No shit. Uh, Platinum Fighters is selling them for $4 million. We'll sell your very own Phantom 2. The Phantom Douglas, uh, the McDonald Douglas, excuse me, F4H1F Phantom 2 BU14531. A pre-production variant and 11th one produced before the plane ultimately redesigned the F4 in September 1962. is on sale for $3.95 Warbirds News reported on March 14th. So if you actually want to get yourself your own jet and play Top Gun, you can do that. So as we go into the college crazy bumper and all, we're going to listen to two sound bites. One is from Teen Vogue Take. I'm not even going to set it up. It's just fucking retarded. And the other one's from MTV trying to disprove the model minority as racism and shit that Orientals are smart. They even got a liberal Oriental lady to get on there and dog the whole concept. These people have nothing better to do with their life. This, this is this is something, man. This is this is our generation, man. All you people, are, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. It's 2017 and we've got lots of diverse and complex LGBTQ characters to watch on our favorite shows. Just kidding. LGBTQ characters are actually few and far between. Oh, and they're mostly white men. Hey there, I'm Tiffany Bender and this is your Team Vogue Take. GLAAD published a new study about LGBTQ characters on network TV. And they basically confirmed that the majority of LGBTQ characters are white and male. That's 70% to be exact. Of the 901 characters on broadcast primetime shows who could be considered series regulars, only 6% qualify as LGBTQ. Cable TV is a little bit better than that, but streaming platforms are really the only places where LGBTQ women are more prevalent than men. So here's the thing. What we're seeing on screen does not actually depict the reality of the real world. According to GLAAD, the population of the U.S. counts more women than men, and bisexual people make up a majority of the LGBT community. TLDR, the study concluded by saying that although there are way more LGBTQ characters than ever before, representation is still way off. However, there have been some amazing examples of diversity in LGBTQ characters this year. One example is the Thanksgiving episode from Aziz Ansari's Master of None. The episode was written by Lena Waithe, who is a goddess among men. She even snagged an Emmy for her role, the first black woman for comedy to do so. The more representation that we have on screen, the more we're able to amplify the diversity that already exists in the LGBTQ community. People of color, trans people, femmes are already discriminated against. Maybe if we get more diversity on screen, societal expectations will change. Plus, we'll have more dope shows to watch. What do you think about GLAAD's findings and what do you want to see on TV? Let us know in the comments and don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time. 
During any debate about white privilege or the pay gap, you usually come across this common argument. But what about Asians? They make more money than all of us, right? Well, wrong. From books like Crazy Rich Asians to characters like London Tipton from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, the archetype of the super wealthy, educated Asian American is a common one. And it didn't come out of thin air. Asian Americans do earn more than white Americans on average, but what the data rarely shows is that economic inequality is a huge problem in the Asian American community. And to help me talk about it, I've enlisted the help of my friend Lily Dew. Thanks, Francesca. Contrary to what you might believe, not every Asian American is spending their days sipping caviar and eating champagne. A 2014 study found that while Asian Americans generally earn more than white people, they also have a much higher rate of poverty. Plus, the "what about Asians?" I guess an argument hides huge disparity amongst different Asian ethnic groups. Indian Americans earn twice the national average and median income, while Vietnamese, Cambodians, and Bangladeshi families are at the very bottom of the list. So this begs the question: If not all Asian Americans are making it rain, and many are extremely far from it, where did this stereotype come from? Well, like most bullshit, it starts with a um, what's the measurement for rain gun? Um, ton of racism. But maybe not the type you usually hear about because it's couched in very positive terms. What we're dealing with, more specifically, is the myth of the model minority—a fairy tale of white supremacy designed to draw between Asian Americans and other people of color. Let me tell you how it works. The myth came to us in the wake of World War II. You know, after Japanese Americans were literally sent to internment camps by the U.S. government, and plays on the idea that by being hardworking, education-focused, and family-oriented, Asian Americans found success and overcame the massive amount of discrimination and institutionalized racism they faced since the 1800s. The goal of the model minority myth was twofold. One, not legitimate, was to explain why Asian families were doing so well economically in the 20 years after World War II. The much more insidious part was to also reinforce damaging stereotypes about blacks and Hispanics as uneducated. Basically, the model minority myth is used to ask harmful questions like, "Geez, if Asians can make it in America, why can't blank do it as well?" But here's the thing: it wasn't hard work, education, or assimilation that helped some Asian Americans find us than other people of color. It was opportunity brought on by. Wait for it. Less racism. New research has found that what actually helped Asian Americans was American society simply becoming a tiny bit less racist towards them. In 2016, researcher Nathaniel Hilger found that between 1940 and 1970, Asian Americans, regardless of education level, started being paid like white people. What happened was that both college-educated Asians and Asian high school dropouts began to make the same as college-educated whites and white high school dropouts, which prior to that time period was not the case. Plus, in 1965, the passage of the Immigration and Nationality Act eliminated a huge bias in favor of European immigrants and drove in a new group of highly selected, highly educated Asian immigrants. For example, 51% of Chinese immigrants to the U.S. are college graduates, compared to only 4% of adults in China. Now, you may be thinking, but Lily, what's wrong with believing all Asian Americans are hardworking, highly educated, and flush with sweet, sweet cash? Isn't that a good thing? Well, not really. Believing all Asian Americans are rich is just as bad as believing that Dev Patel, hello, and Aziz Ansari, hello, are the same person. They're not. 
Well, certain stereotypes may not seem all that bad on the surface, but the rich Asian American myth actually erases the experiences of a large part of the Asian American community. It allows people to ignore the economic disparities faced by other groups like Vietnamese and Cambodians. Plus, lumping in all these different ethnicities into one broad Asian category and focusing on averages masks the wealth disparities between very different ethnic groups. Who doesn't love being a So with the help of the model minority myth, it becomes easy to ignore the fact that in New York City alone, more Asian Americans live below the poverty line than any other minority group at 27%, but they receive less than 1% in state funding. Because all Asians are doing fine. I'm fine. I'm great. Poor Asian Americans are being seriously overlooked when it comes to things like government funding and aid for seniors, which is a double tragedy since we all know that Asian grandmas are stylish as f***. Back to you, Francesca. Look, we have to face the fact that all stereotypes are harmful, even the ones that seem good on the surface, because the rich Asian stereotype leads to a lack of visibility for the issues that poor Asian Americans face. And because they're ignored, this ridiculous cycle is allowed to continue. So no, not all Asian Americans are rich. And just because some are, doesn't mean we get to pretend like racial, gender, and economic disparities don't exist. Sorry, not sorry. Special thanks to Lily Dew for helping out this week. Thanks for... There's a shitload of stupid up in that crap, which is a good way to go into the college grade. Crusader's mascot succumbs to Islamophobia. The College of Holy Cross has decided to stop using night imagery to represent its Crusader's nickname amid concerns that it invokes the violence of the Crusades and promotes Islamophobia. Oh, these people are Barry's buddy. You fucking idiots. Professor stops teaching after backlash to anti-Trump test questions. Yeah, this is real. A California State University Northridge professor has decided to stop teaching classes after receiving backlash over anti-Trump questions. Karen Stanford had been using sick leave since mid-January because CSNUN denied a request for workers' comp, having previously determined that the comments reported did not rise to the level of criminal threat. Spokesman for the CSU Chancellor Office confirmed that universities are able to grant leave to professors under certain circumstances, blah, blah, blah. Who gives a fuck? But she put it on her past. Anti-Trump shit. We got a high school student. Video cultural appropriation worries ruin St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is immensely popular in all the country, especially among frivolity loving college students. Students who spoke of campus reform were initially fine with the idea of non-Irish people celebrating St. Patrick's Day, but upon further reflection decided that it does, in fact, constitute cultural appropriation. I'm not even playing it because you fucking people are fucking idiots. Nobody's been running around with the shillelagh in a long time. Get the fuck over yourself. University offers guide on ta- talking to kids about whiteness. Oh, goddamn, we need this. The University of Maryland, Baltimore County has compiled a new resource for parents, listing several articles with advice for taking talking to kids about whiteness. The school asserts that the resource is necessary because of all the race, national origin, class-based violence, anti-blackness, anti-immigrant rhetoric in the media, and the subsequent backlash from white-identified people groups. That's a lot of shit. Later on, they say white privilege can lead to chronic case of undiagnosed entitlement, creating poor listeners, impatient speakers who talk over others, 
and people unaccustomed to talk, taking orders. Hmm. What white children need to know about race, we need to deal with our discomfort and talk to our kids about racism. The what, what white children need to know pretty much article discusses the deep sense of shame that the author experienced to discuss the subject of race. Most white adults and teens participate in conversations about race only when there's a problem. They need to support in changing their worldview to see the ways in which race is present. Being white may have little meaning to some whites, but that does not mean it has no meaning. All white people are white. Are you sure? In the context of society that continue to disadvantage people of color, blah, blah, blah. I, I just want to stop for a second, and this is probably going to come across like I'm a racist. I really don't give a fuck. Have you ever talked to African-American women? What the fuck are you talking about talking over people? I, have you ever gotten a problem with the fry girl or somebody taking your order or your coworker? Oh, no, 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 no. If you are uh, lacking melanin, they are going to shove their point of view down your neck hole, and you're going to shut your fucking mouth. Talk over people. Shut up. Liberals have been talking over people since 2000. Shut the fuck up. UMN hosting professor to lecture on the violence of whiteness. Oh, God damn, it's a theme. The University of Minnesota has invited a professor dedicated to dismantling whiteness. Because whiteness is an existential threat to the United States. Oh, my God in heaven. Clutch your pearls right now. Lisa Anderson Levy believes that teaching is a political art. Dissenter whiteness is something she discusses. The dissenters. Hmm. The presentation explores the ubiquity and violence of whiteness and the ways in which academic institutions are poised to either reproduce or interrupt these discourses. She argues that whiteness poses an existential threat to societal political and economic life in the U.S. and proposes that dissentering whiteness is one of the most urgent social dilemmas of our times and demands our immediate attention. Yeah, really. That's a thing. Here's the deal. That woman is a fucking racist. If you flipped all those words and said, blackness, you're a racist, so why is... What? What? Poll, perception of liberal bias hurting support for higher education. Oh, you just now realized it. According to a recent survey, more than 80% of college university presidents think that perception of liberal bias are at least partly responsible for the growing public disillusionment with higher education. Nearly the same number said they are concerned about Republicans' increasing skepticism about higher education, with 65% pinpointing perceived intolerance to conservatism as a major problem. It's been that way forever. Hello. And UCLA who gets on our college crazy every goddamn week. Students, government hosts phone bank to demand free abortions. Demand it. A phone banking session for students to lobby for a bill that would require all public colleges and universities in California to provide free on-campus in-the-dorm abortions. Get done having sex, instantly a doctor shows up and just aborts that shit. Conservative students argue that the event conflicted with the student government mission to improve the lives of Bruins, because that's clearly not, but it'll get passed, because it's fucking California, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just not our colleges, my friends. A teacher in Washington State apparently decided it was a great idea to send students home with the homework 
that included a report card for the President of the United States for, wait for it, high school you think? Junior high? Ninth grade, civics. No, first graders. First graders. Uh, by one being bad, two good, three don't know. Do you think President Trump is... God, I fucked this up. Let me fix the view because it's all screwed up. Oh, I can see it now. Do you think President Trump is kind? Why do you think that? Do you think President Trump keeps us safe? Why do you think that? Would you vote for President Trump to be our president again? Yeah. First graders. Let you do that for Obama. Come on, folks. So my daughter brought this home for school. This is Finn McCool. This is his Twitter handle. Seems like unusual questions to ask a first grader, especially the third question. Would they have asked the same question for Obama? Another one, Jay Caruso. Of course they would, wouldn't have asked that question. They wouldn't have asked, they would have asked, should Obama be president for life? If you don't think so, explain why you're a racist. <laughs> That's so true. If I were a conspiracy person, Mike Hoover says, I would say they are probing the parents. But that can never happen because we have Common Core. It isn't a data collection system, just a homogenous education for our kids to make them all the same with no ill intentions of the government. And that's probably true. And Chris Copaco, wow, indoctrination much? Yes, yes, we do. It's so rampant, mass state representative wants General Hooker sign taken down to the state house because it says the word hooker. Well, it makes you understand that. Hooker. Can't have the word hooker. Trump bad. The fuck is wrong? Moving on. San Francisco Gate reports the following. Celebrities getting facials made from cloned baby dick skin. Cells. Yeah. They're putting, they're literally dick snapping their face. Wow. And a big trend coming that makes me pull out my doggone soundbite. You're freaking stupid. That's fucking stupid. That's stupid. You're stupid. Stop being stupid. That's stupid. That's a stupid decision that can only be made by a stupid idiot. What are you, fucking stupid? These fucking people and telling people out to eat. Diane Francis starts it off. Experts say meat should be taxed and discouraged as much as smoking has been for health and environment. So we're talking about a sin tax on meat to discourage consumption. The article states, let's see what Del Bello had to say. Eating too much meat and smoking both have an impact on the public from an environmental and health perspective. Meat production degrades the environment by releasing greenhouse gas emissions and and using up disproportionate amount of land and water per unit of protein, while smoking leads to enormous health bills that the public often has to pay for. In a new report, investment analysts suggest passing on the cost of meat sector impact to those directly responsible the same way we tax smokers. 
The simple idea of the so-called meat tax is that if your burger ends up costing as much as a plate of caviar, you may decide to explore vegetarian options. God damn it! What the fuck is wrong with you? I am a vegan! You will be too! You fuckheads! Be right back. Got to hijack a shipment of tofu and toss it in Boston Harbor, Will Oil Guns America said. The next article, the case for carbon tax on beef. Totally different outlet. Let me admit up front that I would rather be eating a cheeseburger right now or maybe trying out a promising new recipe for Korean braised short rib. But our collective love affair with beef dating back more than 10,000 years has gone wrong in so many ways. And in my head, if it's not in my appetites, I know it's time to break it off. Christoph, Bill, Type 1 each, New York Times. He penned one of these fucking diatribes to... I know better than you. Put down the ho-ho, motherfucker. Or I'll tax the shit out of you so I can pay for sex changes. While he was doing it, he was on New York Times columnist warns of climate change and beef consumption while on company global private jet tour. This time, however, Christoph is now writing from the Manhattan, not writing from the Manhattan office of Old Grey Lady, because he's in the middle of a New York Times-sponsored around-the-world private jet tour that costs 135000 per person. He literally penned on this, a parable for self-destruction was written on Eastern Island off the coast of South America, and he was ranting about climate change. Hmm... Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you people? What is wrong? Why do you think you can tell people they can't have guns, they can't smoke, they can't drink? You syntax soda pop! How'd that work out? Every time we cover it, failed fucking miserably. People just went outside the city and bought the shit, you dick tards. You fucking dicktards! Simultaneously, there's a shitload of two-pack love. Two packs of sugar is now the big E on the TV, and we got specials and everything. An article came out. I just want to make sure you understand. In 92, Shakur got in the post-concert scuffle with someone, fired, uh, maybe maybe his half-brother, fired two packs, 38. A bullet hit and killed a six-year-old. In 93, Shakur was arrested for assaulting another rapper with a baseball bat. A rape trial, Torre was covering. Shakur was convicted of first-degree sexual assault. 94, he was shot five times in an attack outside a New York recording studio by Biggie. And the night of his fatal shooting in 96, Shakur started a casino brawl not long before a gunman pulled up next to his car and shot him in the face. But if you say that, you're a racist! So, I mean, goddamn. I'm probably a racist. Other American culture stupidity. American Idol treats Katy Katy Perry flirting as a joke. Some viewers aren't amused. The ratings are sinking. Because Seacrest dick slapped some girl. And Katy Perry made a nun die. That's the whole article. I just cliff noted that shit. I I just like covering it once in a while. To real crimes that make no goddamn sense. But I totally understand it. Because it was in fucking Memphis. And as those who stayed at the show. I used to have to go to Memphis once a month. And sweet God Lord Jesus. And there were places I just didn't even get out of my fucking car. I didn't get out of the fucking hotel. Where, where the store was, I was the only grain of salt in the pepper shaker. And they let me know that. 
It's like I went in and did a survey. They made me understand. I got called boy more than boy George. It was out of control. <clears throat> Female diners beat IHOP worker bloody melee at Memphis Eatery. It was filmed by Pancake House patron. Yeah. An IHOP manager was left bloodied after he was attacked by rowdy female patrons who threw punches, chairs, and plates at the worker. According to the cops, the melee touched up early Friday morning at an IHOP in Memphis after victim Mohammed Al-Harani, 28, asked the group, Can you please keep it down? Oh, hells no you didn't. Weaves were flying and it was a full thing. That video, I play it, but it's just a bunch of people screaming and weaves flying and you really can't portray that on the radio. It wasn't good. And that's not a racial statement. Remember, I worked in retail for fuck's sake. I walked into brawls in the warehouse, fingernails, weaves, Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. There was some shit flying and it was fun as hell. I just watch it for a while and then break it up. Then there was another one. Multiple arrests made Friday impossible. Animal ritual sacrifice in West Bexar County. They found animal heads and shit. And that's some creepy stuff. Then there's the dick bandit, penis-scrawling prankster, wanted for vandalizing NYPD tickets, and he drew dicks all over him. <laughs> this is the time my wife steps in. You know you're 50, right? Because you're laughing about that, but I don't care. That's fucking funny. Journal, woman dies after bee acupuncture treatment. Now, this is some first-world shit right here. This wahoo had stress and muscle tightness. And she literally went and got bee acupunctures and went into shock and died because she had too many bee stings. Did we not think this out before he brought the bees and started stinging her? Really? Really? What the fuck, Chuck? This coming week that we're not in, but next week, last month of March... Rogue toxic space station could crash into Earth next week. An out-of-control space station packed with cancer-causing chemicals could hit a number of major world cities, Earth has been warned. China's first prototype station, Taipong 1, will come crashing back to planet March 30th and April 6th. And space boffins are revealed as the highest chance of crashing into cities along a narrow strip around latitude of 43 degrees. This includes New York, Barcelona, Beijing, Chicago, Istanbul, and Toronto. 8.5 ton craft. Hmm. It's going to have dangerous hydrazine in it. That's going to be a bad day, but it'll make for good YouTube videos, I'm sure. That'll stay on, but the gun ones will come off. Carnage and death. Oh, yeah. Good for clicks. The next segment comes from Ayla. I met a proper SJW last night at a party. I told her our app will donate to the most effective charities to save the most lives possible. And she was like, but how do you prevent this from creating a white savior complex? I was like, our money can go further when helping very poor countries. And she was like, but you should be addressing the racism and sexism and inequality in our community right here in New York City. I was like, New York City is 1%, though. This is one of the most privileged cities in the world. Donating here is just the 1% donating to the 1%, basically. But because of the 1% oppression structure, here matters the most, she says. I was like, at the end of the day, though, what matters is that we both have good intentions. Even if we disagree about how to do the same things, we still want the same things. We're on the same side. She was like, I disagree. 
Scott Greenfield sums up all this insanity quite well. No matter what you do to help others, it will violate some social justice warrior orthodoxy, and you'll be literally awful. Great thread. Thanks for sharing. That is some scary fucking shit. Scary shit. Ah. Then our last one before we go into a segment before Lighter Fair, because I couldn't resist this shit when I flipped up. Kelly Jane Torrance brings our last social justice college crazy you fucking people segment. Massachusetts Burger King sign reading, you are only allowed one overdose and then you are banned from this establishment. Taking down after complaints that it stigmatizes those overdosing more than once. If your social justice warrioring has gotten so you don't want to insult or microaggress people ODing and getting OD off Narcan, you are a fucking moron! So a couple months ago, we talked about the final year, a documentary on the last year of the anointed one, Barack Hussein Obama, and how HBO threw this together, and it looks like it didn't do a whole fucking lot of good, because it's already out on fucking YouTube for free 99. So I, your humble host, got you the most important part. Not the part about Carrie and Susan Powers, and Rice, and Obama, and Gibbs, and Axel, how great we are, we're awesome, look at us, we're so good. It's the time when Hillary lost. And I distilled it down, well, I guess, let me see, I think it's like, uh, how many minutes? We're looking at uh, 12 minutes, but it's 12 minutes, totally worth it, so enjoy. And look at the only numbers that really matter tonight, and that is the race to 270. is much closer uh, than Democrats were saying, and you have to be worried tonight if you're a Democrat. It's scary, right? It's scary, yeah. It's not, not ideal. In the Obama election four years ago, look all that blue. Donald Trump has taken them, and he's turned them red tonight. Did you come in thinking we're good, or did you just know that it was going to be good? I just think we're going to be and here we go in California. Now make it look close. Vast stretches of our country red this evening. We have a call. The state of Florida, the apparent winner, Donald Trump. I need to interrupt with another one. Trump wins Iowa. The projected Donald Trump is being awarded North Carolina. Just came in 15 electoral votes. They have a very realistic possibility tomorrow of controlling both the House, the Senate, and uh, the White House. To think of them in control of the Senate, the House, and the presidency. I mean, it's almost like the Civil War. You know, Donald Trump did not run to unify the country. No. That was the last no. thing that he did. The country did not vote to be unified. I mean, look, this is the second of four really consequential global elections. This phenomenon is playing out across the whole of the Western democracy.
I just came outside to try to process all this. Um, it's a lot to a lot to process. I mean, uh, I I can't even. I can't. I, I mean, I, 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 I can't. I, I can't. I can't put it into words. I, I don't know what the words are. On a personal level, this is tough. My daughter was at home and went to bed before uh, she knew what the outcome was. And so I had to explain it to her in the morning, and it took her a while to absorb and digest. She thought I was joking at first. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. Uh, I think we have to be realistic about the nature of the challenges that we face. Our job is to make sure the team coming in has a sense of the stakes because they don't get higher. You have a responsibility morally to make judgments that are based on facts, not fiction. And I'll do everything in my power to put that kind of evidence in front of them as they come in. You think about the you know, people around the country who are afraid. My assistant who works for me is a Muslim who wears a hijab, and she was crying for days. You know, that's what's immediately on your mind. And then you're thinking about things that we worked on, Cuba, Iran, climate. You know, what, what is going to happen to those things? I, mean, I, I cannot stress you enough. There's no backstop here. I mean, I think people assume, well, there's some grown-up somewhere, right, who will make sure he doesn't, you know, screw up too bad or something there's not there's no this is it like you're in the office you decide whether to take a strike that kills somebody you decide whether to start a war presence had to make hundred hundreds of those decisions he will have to make hundreds of those decisions that will happen every week here you know and there's not anybody else who will make those decisions for him hey I think we're wrapping anyway so
As many of you know, this is my final trip overseas as President of the United States. And I was determined on my last trip to come to Greece, partly because I've heard about the legendary hospitality of the Greek people, your philoxenia, but also because I came here with gratitude for all that Greece, this small, great world, has given to humanity through the ages. Twenty-five centuries ago, in the rocky hills of this city, democracy was born. After eight years of being President of the United States, having traveled around the globe, I still believe the fundamental desire to have control of our lives and our future and our nations, these yearnings are universal. They burn in every human heart. That's why the most important office in any country is not president or prime minister. The most important title is citizen. It's been interesting talking to my staff, my team, many of whom are younger. I, I just have to remind them, and do you notice I've been sticking this in probably all my remarks, history really doesn't follow a straight line. It did zigs and zags, but the trend lines ultimately will be in the direction of a less violent, more empathetic, more generous world. and. That requires individuals uh, fighting for that future. There's this generation that seems to be coming up that seems to share a very Obama view of the world in the United States and in all these other places. And then there are these retrenchment forces kind of pushing back from the other direction <laughs> um, who've actually gotten their hands on the levers of power now. In a strange way, like, it may just be that this has to happen, you know, that People just have to confront the ugly reality of that. I'm begun to just think about the next thing, you know, and I'm going to keep working for President Obama in his international work. He's 55 years old. I'm 39 years old. Um, and, you know, the, the pendulum will swing back. And I think we have the template for when that happens. There, there is a lot that we have done that we will, how do I put this, um, whatever, it, it, we're all exhausted, <laughs> so tired, uh, we all need to reintroduce ourselves to uh, loved ones who have been incredibly patient with us, um, but I think any thought that any of us might have had that we could go gently into the night, uh, that thought has been vanquished. So we're in this for the long, long haul. I always like visiting these ancient sites, whether it's the Pyramid or Petra or the Parthenon, because it gives you perspective. In today's world, we live so much day to day. We're looking at stock numbers and poll numbers and uh, 
the latest tweet, and it, it just fills us with distractions, with anxieties, fears. You know, you visit a place like the Parthenon, and you're reminded that we're just part of this long chain, uh, and we do our best with the little link of that chain that is allotted to us. It's made me rethink kind of how we measure what we got done. You know, you can measure the impact of the Cuba deal, but there are these things that we do that are really important that don't show up on that scorecard. And I'm thinking about like, you know, these visits, to, you know, to Vietnam and and Hiroshima and Laos, the impact you have on people's lives that the president is speaking to and connecting with and giving resources to, and, you know, because when you meet them, they tell you that they trace back, you know, their decision to start an organization or to start a business or to go into government, you know, to some interaction with the president. So that's what I'm excited to, to watch. That's a long, long game. I mean, that, we won't know that for 20 years, but you know, maybe there's a there's a different happy ending. <laughs> I think of all the young people who I've met around the world, you know, they are representative of a lifetime of potential that's going to be realized in all kinds of ways we can't even anticipate at this point. Imagine what kinds of amazing revolutions for good they can inspire. The speeches they're going to make, the policies that they're going to implement, the laws that they're going to pass. more of an opportunity to play but you have to study that's not the the side of foreign policy that attracts attention but may ultimately uh, be the thing that uh, has the most impact thank you good appreciate it all right see you guys you all good we out of here I had a lighter fare with some good Ranger Up videos, but we're going to save for the next podcast because we're hitting that witching hour of three hours. I'm trying to get this shit down to about two hours and 15 minutes like it used to be, and I just can't seem to do with all the goddamn stupid. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by email on F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. And the best app for all podcast podcast listening is Podcast Addict, Android, and iTunes. Love it. It's the first thing that let me put my shit up. I love them. They're great guys. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOP podcast.com it's a theme then you can ch- check out links to feeds of the show links to our facebook page and to email us on the episode release page is a link to every episode and on my blog is a link to the blogs so looking at the calendar i'm hoping that i can get a podcast done send sunday to cover the we're gonna take your shit gun march because i'm sure there's gonna be great sound bites off that 
and the Omnibus, so the 25th. If not, then we're going to shoot for the 27th, Tuesday, the 27th of March, Year of Our Lord 2018, and knock out our next podcast. I hope all of you have a great weekend. Stay warm or cool, depending on how Mother Nature's treating you, because we're going to get a little bit of both down here in God's country. I thank every one of you for listening, and as always, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.